There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien, and today I'm joined by a very special, really a very badass individual. His name's Brad. And Brad was a part of um, a bear attack on a Falkneck Island. He has been willing to give us here at the Hunting Collective the exclusive story of this attack. Uh, it wasn't only just an attack, it was a mauling. He, he sustained some very minor but also some very serious injuries along the way of this attack. He was hunting elk with some buddies there. And um, uh, just an amazing story unfolded. Uh, you'll be you'll you'll know a Fogneck Island from the Meat Tree podcast from from the Meat Eater with Steve Renella, Remy Warren, Giannis Patelis, and others. A Fogneck Island has become a place where bear attacks in the news are are fairly frequent. I mean, if you don't know about a Fogneck Island, it's it's in the Kodiak Island archipelago on coastal in coastal Alaska. It's about twenty miles long, forty miles wide. There's just about 39 people that live there. Um, who knows if that's even if that's even the right number? It's not a lot. Um, there's no roads. There's no stores. There's just uh, herds of Roosevelt elk and hundreds of Kodiak brown bears, which are uh, some of the largest bears in the world. They can be up to 1,300 pounds. They're giant. Um, you know, and the elk, the elk there, Roosevelt elk, and they were. They were transplanted from the Olympic Peninsula of Washington State in, in the late 1920s. And uh, a lot of guys loved to go hunt them, as did Brad and his four friends. But one ensued. It was one of the craziest stories you'll ever hear, and it's exclusive to this podcast. So please listen, enjoy, and learn from Brad and his bear attack on the Falkenick. Brad, what's up, man? Not much, Ben. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> sunny, sunny, sunny San Diego. You got it. Um, 
there's a lot to talk about, obviously, but um, first things first, when you know, we get in a situation where I need it, this is this is the story. People are coming for the story, mm-hmm. right? They're coming for the the bear attack story. Of course. But we're gonna like make them wait a minute. <laughs> we're gonna make them <laughs> suspense. I guess give them a little bit of suspense. Yeah. Um, I you know I want to talk about uh, Kodiak and a Fognac Islands mm-hmm. um, and the environment there first, because you spent a lot, some time around bears prior to. Oh yeah, been uh, there for around. two and a half years now. So tell me about um, your time in Kodiak and you you know your experience of bears or what kind of place it is. There. Sure, sure. Well, first and foremost, like the bear population is insane there. So it's yeah. it's it, the common occurrence of seeing bears is nothing short from what I'm used to. You know, my drive to work, I see a bear like pretty much every day. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> hey, let's back that up a minute. If I drive to work, yeah. I pretty much see a bear every day. Pretty much. No. Uh, so I live out in what's called the flats. There's a uh, section Kodiak off and most people don't realize, but Kodiak's a huge island. It's actually second biggest in the U.S., I think next to uh, the big island in Hawaii. But uh, it's huge, but only like a 10% of it people actually live on yeah like, there's just the top right corner and that's where people live and then that's it and then there's like a few outlying little like port towns type deal but i think it's 67 miles of paved road that's yes. it so that's about as far as you can drive and go <laughs> yeah i've so, flown over in the, in the planes a couple of times and you're it, like well that's yep exactly so and i know you're aware of this but just for you know for the people listening sure but, uh <laughs> it's section off basically to the the main part of town and then you've got the flats and everybody out there is called flat rats and that makes me a flat rat so (laughs) (laughs) i live a little ways out in town but uh you've got uh bears that they just get named by where they feed on the rivers down there and there's just ample amounts of salmon and river you know going everywhere but uh sergeant's creek is one of them where you just see people just lined up on the side of the road taking pictures and uh, causing traffic jams yeah. and all kinds of other incidents. <laughs> it's a real pain, but uh, no. So the, between the Buskin Bear and Sergeant's Creek, it's like you're just seeing bears all the time. I've almost hit bears like I've hit deer back home, you know. <laughs> so it's just it's a, a very common occurrence. And uh, ironically enough, uh, I think it was like a week, maybe a week and a half before the actual incident itself. There was a uh, friend that was coming over to the house, and uh, I live in a guest house next to you know the main house, and we were all kind of gathered together in the main house, and uh, it was late at night, real, real dark out, and I was just going back over to my house uh, to grab some you know food and drinks and bring back over while I step out of the house, and there's horses on the property, but I come out of the house, and uh, a lady that was over there had her pickup truck, you know, just kind of parked in the driveway, and I didn't think anything of it, and I you know ran by and I heard some you know kind of footsteps and I just thought it was one of the horses yeah well I just make it by the pickup truck and I just see this massive bear (laughs) (laughs) and it's just walking around like shit you gotta be kidding me and uh, fortunately, you know, it wasn't an attack mode or anything, startled it off. It was getting into some garbage, and I, I actually shot it off the property at that point. I had my my uh, concealed carry on me, and just to scare it away, just kind of like, you know, shoo, get out of here. But, uh, you know, just goes to show, like, that. if that bear wanted me, it was only 10 oh, yards yeah. away when I was just walking by, like, pitch black. Like, there would have been nothing that I could have done. Luckily, there was some trash there. <laughs> oh, for sure. Like, that's all it was interested in. It's like, oh, food. And um, uh, right along those lines, too, you know, after this whole thing has happened and even before that, we've noticed uh, real recently on Kodiak uh, the bear kind of dynamic and what they're 
interested in. Yeah. This past year has really changed, I think, uh, than the seasons prior. And I, th- this is just a theory. I mean, Fishing Game could probably really dial it in, but the Reds didn't, like, run at all this year. Yeah. Re- it, just absence didn't happen. The salmon runs in general just started very, very late. You know, even the, the Silvers when they finally came in. And it was a great season at the end. But I think the Bears are really, really hungry in the beginning, and they're still kind of playing catch-up. Because everywhere in town, all we just see is just like bears popping. I'm getting into trash, like way more than I've seen before in the past. And and other guys that I know that have lived there for 20 plus years saying the same thing. Like, yeah, they're they're pretty aggressive. Yeah, yeah. and and well, and and fortunately, they haven't been aggressive, but just like I don't know, aggressively hungry, yeah, yeah. bold and like getting into people's trash. Like, I mean, just everywhere in the city, like right by dogs and other people's houses, and like they don't care. And I would say that's the difference is. They're city bears, yeah. you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the equivalent of a city bear versus you know the rural uh, tundra type bear that you're going to see out like hunting and stuff. And uh, but yeah, they've they've really really been bold lately, and it's it's, yeah. it's nuts. Yeah, and there's a lot of companies that run bear tours and things on Kodiaks. I'm mm-hmm. sure you're well aware, right? And it just is it's the most interesting part about it is the dichotomy that exists there of like. You live there. You see bears every day. Like I see, you know, <laughs> maybe a deer every day mm-hmm. or something like that. So the comparison of the two is is eerie to me almost. It's oh, yeah. the way that it, that, you know, your daily your daily experience with a bear is like, oh, there's one. Oh, there's one. Yep. And up, oh, there's another one. <laughs> that's that's unreal. Uh huh. Oh, it's it's, it's wild. So I. Uh, I grew up in Maine, so black bear. You know, it's huge up there. Yeah. But even growing up there. I mean, we lived out in the sticks, like small town, 600 people, and I could count on my hands the amount of times I've seen a bear. That's like, what I mean. You know I mean, what I mean? Like, and I grew up hunting yeah. my entire life, so did my father. And you know, he, he finally you know, he got one, and he's been trying for years and years and years. But uh, you just don't see him. The recluse, yeah. you know? Yeah. Just wild, but not the brown not bear okay. there. They're, they're just, oh, salmon, yay! <laughs> I'm just trash I'm cans. happy. Woo. Uh, Main Street, we don't <laughs> care. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, black bears are in pretty much every state mm-hmm. at this point. And um, other than, you know, Florida is pretty famous for having a lot of black bear yep. incidents. I mean, now New Jersey's in the headlines around black bears. It's going to shut the season down. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you don't, it's not something, you know, I grew up in, on the East Coast too, and, and there were bears around, but I saw, I think I can remember seeing one as a kid while hunting. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not sure there's many places on the planet Earth where you would see a bear every day on your commute to work. <laughs> nope. It just isn't. <laughs> no, um, not at all. So how, like, when you when something like that happens, you come out and you see a bear in the trash can, you, is that something that um, is talked about or is that a daily occurrence? Is that something that, you know, bears that close to you know the dwelling bears that close to you know yeah and i i think most people's experiences just they all come from the city yeah you know and like being in those type environments and i think those bears specifically are just they're more skittish you know they don't they don't want anything to do with you for whatever reason like they're not trying to protect anything Mm -hmm. even the garbage and stuff they don't really like you know, have dominance over. I've never seen anything like that or heard any incidents. I do think it's probably a matter of time. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely talked about. It. And of course, it, you know, scares people, especially just seeing the size. Most people don't understand or really like, they can't get the scale of it. You know, all you ever see is like TV and video and pictures and everything. As soon as you see like a massive bear, it's like, it's 
It's a pretty big eye opener. <laughs> I can <laughs> imagine so. <laughs> yeah. Especially, uh, you know, the differences between the lower 48 kind of bear where people may have seen him before and then going to like Kodiak. Yeah. And I would think the same thing if I ever saw, you know, a polar bear, like stepping it up in, in that realm too. It's like the more massive the creature, the more yeah. just coastal like, bears. It's just like a different really, deal. Yeah. Really, really like uh, it's eye opening. And funny enough, I've had that conversation with, you know, differences in grizzlies and brown bears and the, you know, the coastal or inland, uh, and yeah, they just get huge off that salmon. And yeah, then, you know, obviously where the Kodiak brown bear gets its name, but uh, yeah, no, people definitely talk about it. But uh, for the most part, it's always just stories of like, oh, they come out and turn the lights on or make a noise and stuff like that, and the bear just like runs off. Yeah, that's what I was getting at. Yeah. You know, yeah. you just don't. It, it it changes the first time somebody gets attacked uh-huh. in their front yard, or somebody gets is taking the garbage out and yeah. gets you know yeah. gets mauled. I, oh, for sure. And it still worries me because we just see him around town. And all I keep thinking is like, man, that one kid waiting at the school yeah. bus stop. You know, yeah. that one time. I'm like, I grew up in the same thing. It was like in sticks and like nobody would ever know. You know, unless there was a bunch of other kids or something like that around. But they're so small and like kind of easy targets that that's what I worry about. I'm like, mm, if that bear's hungry enough and finally sees that. He might be like, mm, I'm going to capitalize on this. And there's, you know, that's what's going to change everything. And, yeah. And uh, oh, that would be, uh, oh gosh, that'd be terrible. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, there's a different dynamic for cohabitation when you are cohabitating with a charismatic, <laughs> charismatic megafauna, giant fucking predator <laughs> that could, could, could swipe you like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just is, you know, cohabitation with ungulates, you're just, you're helping manage that population. Like it, the relationship's a little bit easier to manage mm-hmm. than when that's happening. But I have not, you know, I know we both, we have mutual friend Cole Kramer. Like I've talked to him a lot oh, and hunted sure. on Kodiak with him a couple of years ago. It was in December, so we didn't see any bears. Yep. Thank God. <laughs> um, but just talking with him about that, I mean, he's a bear guide. Mm-hmm. And some of the stories that he, you know, that he will tell you, he's been on this podcast. And if you go back and listen to, um, I think it's episode 18 with, with Cole. You'll mm-hmm. hear some of these stories, but bears are killing machines. Yeah. And they're just born and bred. Like there's, they're meat processors they're with four legs. They're massive. just, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's all they're thinking about. So um, the fact that you're living in this place, you know, that you somehow, I mean, you have to. There's no way that you're not getting used to, habitu- you know, like habituated with bears. Mm-hmm. You are. You see them every day. Mm-hmm. Your, your lens with which, you see a bear is different than mine. Oh, yeah. And I think, well, one, the whole experience is definitely eye-opening, and I don't think I ever really took it for granted. It definitely opened my eyes, but finally being, you know, mauled and attacked uh, really opened my eyes to me being a very <laughs> uh, big solo hunter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know... Yeah, just we, me and my bear spray. Uh, yeah, not even that. I was, like, I was always having my, my gun on me, and... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's definitely opened my eyes and changed my my thought process on doing that from now on. But ironically, myself and the guy who ended up, you know, shooting the bear, uh, both of us prior to the attack had gotten our, our uh, deer, you know, uh, and bagged our first deer on the road system solo, like yeah. completely by ourselves. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Mine was on uh, opening day. Yeah, got mine opening day, and uh, Kodiak's like a jungle in the in the spring summertime like before that and in uh opening days august 1st there and uh it is it's so 
the the I mean the grass there and, and all and all the growth is over my head. Like there would be no question. That me being like quiet, doing the same thing, not having anybody else. Like I'm not making any noise. That it could have just as easily happened uh, the same way, like you know, sneaking yeah. up on a bear or something like that. Yeah. Like it's kind of you know, like makes you think again. I'm like, okay, you know, I thought I had this kind of dialed in. Like, mm, nope, not so much. Yeah, I mean, there just is there is a general helplessness when it comes to proximity to bears. I mean, yeah. you can be prepared as you'd like. You know, like I said, you can have a sidearm, you can have a rifle, you can have bear spray, mm-hmm. and we'll get into your experience here in a minute. But you know. Most, not most times, but there are plenty of times where none of that matters. No. No matter how prepared you are, <laughs> you're still helpless. Yep. You're still helpless. Yeah. Because this is a giant killing machine. For sure. You know, when you're out there, it's, uh, you're not really in the food chain, but it doesn't make you the top of the food chain either. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like those things can do whatever they want. And I'm sure we get, you know, machines that make us a little more capable than they are. But uh, no, it's an extremely, massive and powerful animal that's you know built to do a lot of damage big ball of hair and muscle <laughs> we're a and bunch just... of fucking pussies <laughs> you know <laughs> yes we really are we, compared to the, <laughs> compared to a bear yeah i mean i like i said I'm, i've been in a lot of wilderness situations we were talking before we hit record i'm like i'm just lucky enough to have never i've had experience where i've seen bears and, and but just lucky enough never to really I've had to make any real decisions around, um, mm-hmm. you know, my proximity to, to a bear. Um, but you know, I live in Montana. There's lots of people that, that go hunting in Montana and Wyoming and all over Canada and on Kodiak every mm-hmm. year that put themselves in a situation where the odds are low. They're very low, but there are odds that say you're going to run into a grizzly bear and you're going to have oh, to yeah. make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, doing doing that willingly is taking on an immense, immense risk. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. I know. That Look, you're talking to, bro. <laughs> no. no. I know. It's hum- I'm humbled by the experience for sure. And, you know, there's, I got no ill will towards bears at all. Like, I was just yeah. looking forward to getting back on the horse. And, unfortunately, I'm missing all the seasons now. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it doesn't phase me. I think like uh, a lot of other people talk about it or, or think that you'll have some sort of like hate towards bears now. Like, oh, kill all bears are all terrible things. It's like, no, no, not at all. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. Um. And so, and you grew up hunting. You said mm-hmm. um, with your dad yep. in Maine. Oh, for sure. Plenty of bears in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Plenty of well, bears. Yeah. What What was your, um, you know how How did you come up? How did you grow up hunting? How did you get introduced to it? Like. You know, prior to living on Kodiak, what was your experience? Sure, sure. So, uh, lived out in the sticks, log cabin my father built, you know, wow. lived in the same house, you know, our entire lives. And um, prior to me, you know, going off to college, that's just all we did. Every fall, and the hunting seasons there are very, very different and much more uh, stringent, I guess, than a lot of other states as I come to, came to find out. But you only get one, one deer a season. Like, that's it. White-tailed yeah. deer and, like, boom, you're done. I think there might be some, uh, you might be able to get a, like a second one with some of the extended seasons there. Mm-hmm. But uh, it makes you a hard hunter growing up in Maine and try to hunt. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, some of the other states are similar, but there is no warm hunting there. Like, yes. the coldest I've ever been in my life is without a doubt been times where I was hunting in Maine and just like 
sitting in a tree stand for five hours and like negative 20 and just <laughs> freezing my fucking ass off. There's no way to get warm. <laughs> no. You can't get warm. No, your blood's not moving. You're just sitting there and that was the true test. And, and the funny thing is, is those are some of the best times I ever had with my, my pops, you know, growing up was just sitting in a tree stand, like waiting or, you know, and eventually we'd, you know, split up and take a couple different uh, fields of fire there. And, uh, yeah, just waiting for our deer, and it was a big deal. And th- there's just no questions. Like the more time that you spent out, uh, the more chance that you were gonna, you know, see something or run into something. And I never grew up really doing stalking hunting because yeah. the main woods, it's 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 almost impossible. Yes. In some, at least in the areas that we were in, there's probably some more open open woods in different areas. But no, it's so yeah. thick there. Yeah, the, and the time of season, everything just snaps. It's crunchy. Like you can't. Like it's it's almost impossible to actually like stock hunt deer there. The big the big uh, thing there is just like sitting in a tree stand doing your scouting and stuff in the preseason and finding out where they're gonna be and then just you know waiting and setting up your you know your uh, your doe piss or whatever and and accounting for the wind and have a different a couple of different sites and father taught me everything for sure. But uh, yeah, I, I started going with him well before I was able to hunt myself and. 10, 10 years old is the, the legal hunting age there. And yeah. uh, finally, when I was 10, and I, this is one of my favorite stories actually, but uh, <laughs> uh, we had this place called the Peas Farm, and it was the, uh, and uh, that was just the family that owned it like back in the day. It's, it's not uh, there anymore, but huge tree stand that my Pepe, my grandfather, and his friends built up on this, this huge back lot. Uh, God, I don't even know how many years ago. And my father and I, he wanted to take me there. He's like, okay, it's a really big open spot, and we're going to go out. And 10 years old, and, uh, you know, not a stranger to the cold, but not really adept at it either. Yeah. And finally go out, and we're sitting there. And of course, like I get cold within however, you know, an hour or two hours, because of course we're there before the sun rises. And it's like, There's okay. No, t- no 10 year old has ever hunted and not said, I'm cold. Yeah. Dad. Yeah. That's, that's it's it's it. inevitable. Yep. And so he's like, okay. It's like, well, do you remember your way back to the truck? And I'm like, yeah. It's like, okay, we'll just go back to the truck and, and turn the heater on and, uh, and, you know, warm yourself up. And then if you're ready, like, come on back out. And so I go to the truck and, um, I'm just sitting there and, uh, the, the other funny part was, is uh, I was too nervous to turn the truck on because of the noise. And I was like, I didn't want to do it. So I just thought I could just turn the truck on and like the heat would come out. But of course that's just air blowing. <laughs> so I didn't actually really get warm, you know, just the kind of the walk made me get warm, I think. But I was sitting in the truck for a little while and my, uh, pops comes back, opens the truck. He's like, Zach, Zach, come out. And he's like, there's a, there's a deer. And he's like, oh, okay. So I get my rifle and we go out and we're kind of stalking at this point. He remembered seeing the duck and it was uh, a duck buck and uh it was just a young buck and finally he sees it kind of down this path and uh we get up on it and and i can't see it and i'm like he's like it's right it's right here and i'm kind of like looking i'm like oh i see it but i'm trying to see it through the scope and it's on full power i just can't get on i'm like i don't see it i don't see it and he's like it's right there and he's kind of cracking up laughing at the same time and fortunately this we just had the wind just right and the bucks like laying down like very very fortunate I mean, i finally see it I'm like oh yeah i see it, i see it and, and then uh yeah i get get eyes on and take my shot and it was laying down didn't get up it was just it was it was done and i was just so excited and go over and get my first uh first deer kill but it always just cracked me up i'm like it is just the worst <laughs> deer kill that you could possibly imagine didn't do any work <laughs> whatsoever 
like you had to get I out of the truck. Out. I tapped out. You had to get out of the truck. <laughs> yeah. You could have fallen over. Like yeah. <laughs> you were safe. It was, was just about on par as what we call heater hunting up there, where people <laughs> yeah. just driving in the trucks. I'm sure you're aware. Yes. Just oh like, yes. You know, just you know, scouting glass in the fields. Like, mm, what if anything is in the field after I, you know, while I'm eating this donut? You know, my father hated that. He's like, no, those guys don't pay for it. You got to pay no. the man to get the deer. So. No, one time I was in Saskatchewan hunting. They were like, here, where? Something called though, what's the thing called? Heater bodysuit. They were like, put this on. You know, it was like negative twenty, like you're talking about. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, you know, what is it? It's like kind of like a sleeping bag. It's got heaters inside of it. Uh-huh. And so if you sit there, you're totally comfortable. So I get up in this tree stand, <laughs> put on this little sleeping bag, and I turn it on, and I'm asleep in five minutes. <laughs> of course, I'm asleep in five <laughs> yeah. minutes. I'm in a heated sleeping bag. <laughs> what? And I slept for like three hours. We're like, ah, I'm oh, all God. sweaty now. Jeez. I had to get out of the tree. But yep. But yes, uh, I grew up much the same way. And so, <laughs> and the first deer that I ever killed, first deer I ever shot at, in fact, I just skinned her. I remember my my dad put shooting sticks on the ground. I put a <laughs> rifle down. He's like, she's right there. She's fifty yards away. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't got it, man. Yeah, I don't know I what to do. Yeah. I think I see the sky, but I'm not sure. And That's eventually. Awesome. Popped a shot and skinned her right okay. shoulder, but you know, I wish I had one laying down. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah, exactly. Like it was easy killing there, but, but it was simpler. That those times are simpler. Yeah, you know, like that. You you weren't worried about how big its antlers were, or no, it was a little spike one. You know, yeah, <laughs> it didn't mean anything then. You were just meat more, on the table. Yeah, meat on the <laughs> and, table. And first deer kills. So yeah, first deer kills the, the simplest form of hunting because mm-hmm. it's just there's a deer and I everything that goes into the actual killing of the deer is more important than the deer at that oh, point yeah. like getting your crosshairs on it <laughs> yeah exactly heck the uh i think the third one i got was a doe yeah. you know it was the first time i got my my doe because you got to get a permit to get does up up there and yeah well i got it but you guys do a lot of venison eating growing up oh yeah yeah for sure uh i'm always interested to ask like how how it was cooked up because there's always this like my dad cooked just oh, fried yeah. everything yeah no no i I totally hear you and it's funny because i've played around with like all kinds of different stuff and i really get into the cooking thing now and especially since all i do is eat game now i don't even go to the the (laughs) grocery (laughs) store up in kodiak not for meat anyway like protein is halibut salmon elk goat (laughs) deer you know that's that's the freezer you know fill it up and just change it up every day but uh no i grew up with uh yeah a lot of venison um moose on a few occasions caribou my father went up to canada and got uh some caribou at one point in time. Uh, what else? We did have the black bear when he got yeah. a black bear that one time. And, eat, you know, contrary to belief, it's not that great eating, but you can eat black bear. Oh, it's like, sure. yeah, it's, it's reasonable. And, uh, but his way was just straight up. It's like pan seared with butter, salt, and pepper. And it's like, that's it. That was like, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> who put that cookbook out? Cause <laughs> yeah. it's not bad. I mean, my, I've, this last Thanksgiving, my dad fried up some tenderloin. I'm like, this uh-huh. tastes like my childhood, and it's good. It's good. It's not yep. good for you, but good. <laughs> there must have been just a cookbook where somebody wrote, like, this is like a three-page cookbook. And the first page said butter, the second page said salt, and the last page said pepper. Mm-hmm. And it was it. <laughs> You're like, yep. and scene. And it was like, that's what that's what my dad did. So I was wondering, uh-huh. just being a couple of like generally East Coast kids, that that's yep. what. Oh, that's de- that's definitely that's what it. it was. And I found my own ways of you know what I prefer, and I don't mind it that way at all. But uh, 
it always did crack me up. It's like, no, that's all I want. And I'm like, well, it's kind of no wonder my mom, you know, never really liked eating veggies. Yeah. <laughs> she really didn't. She never liked it. She didn't like the gamey flavor. And I was like, well, that's because Pops never prepared it any better way <laughs> like to kind of change your flavorings. What if I put a, a different kind of butter? Yeah. <laughs> you know, get some fancy spices or some balsamic on it or, you know, <laughs> marinate it. You know, did you ever try marinating? it? Yeah, something. Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny, that, that <laughs> generational change. I mean, it really is. Yep. It's something that I've experienced with my dad. My dad, I love my dad to death. And, and um, he, there was just a different way, man. Yep. Just a different way to treat, treat uh, the hunting and the meat, which... I feel like the hunting part's almost more simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a simpler um, effort than some of the things we do today. But mm-hmm. surely um, the meat still had reverence, but it just didn't have the same. There wasn't, you know, there's no fine point on how to mm-hmm. <laughs> on how to prepare it. It was. Oh like, yeah, for sure. What do you got? You want a stew, or <laughs> I'll fry it up. That's it. That's <laughs> nope. all we got. Yeah. There wasn't any other differences or no other way. And I think part of that was because my mom didn't eat it, so he didn't really make it any other way. He's like, I'm going to eat it the way I like it. So that's that was right. it. But uh, <laughs> no, my uh, my pops are, you know, they're pretty poor growing up, uh, especially when they were kids. So the deer was just all about, you know, just getting food and meat in the freezer, feeding the kids. Like that's how it was, even for my buffet when he would uh, go and get the deer. And, and he was all about eating. Like whatever extra parts and organs and everything else, loved the heart. Heart was his favorite. Yeah, yeah. I still love the heart myself and and the liver as well. And even with the deer that I just killed, I uh, on opening season in Kodiak, like that was the first thing I did. Is like all those organ meats and everything, and just yeah. like I stewed them up, and now they're you know they're frozen. I was waiting for you know to get a little colder because it was you know warm for Kodiak. You know, it was like you know fifty, sixty degrees. Whoa, <laughs> yeah, slow down, real, buddy. Real warm summertime <laughs> there. Take your shirt off. Get some sun. Yep, exactly. So in my mind, I'm just thinking, yep, okay, too warm. Nope, got to wait for uh, the nice, cold, deep heart of winter and break that stuff out. And yeah. And delicious. I, you know, I think transporting back to, to Kodiak across the world, basically, across the country for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yep. About as far as you can go. <laughs> Every time I've spent time in a coastal in a coastal Alaskan environment of any, you know, Prince of Wales comes to mind, you know, Kodiak comes to mind, of course, the Falkner comes to mind. Mm-hmm. I, I always come away thinking this is a rich place. Like this is game rich, oh, yeah. wildlife rich. I mean, Prince of Wales is just jaw dropping mm-hmm. with with what you see and experience there from a wildlife perspective. But so is Kodiak. Mm-hmm. Um, but the second thing I think is what a harsh, harsh environment oh, this sure. is. Um, and that's you know I would I would say the starkness of that relationship. In, the, in in most of the coastal Alaska is is what draws me to it. I'm mm-hmm. sure what draws you to it. I mean, you can have just amazing. When we went to Kodiak with Cole, I mean, it was bald eagles and black-tailed deer and silver foxes, and I mean, it uh-huh. just it's it's a rich place. But then the river froze, and we were struggling <laughs> to get home. <laughs> so it yeah. turned turned a little harsh yeah um has that been your experience kind of going through the seasons on kodiak yeah there's uh a lot of similarities to maine that's kind of what, what drove me there in, in the first place but uh, kodiak doesn't really have that that full four season kind of effect it's more yeah. of winter and then summer sort of <laughs> the shoulder seasons are just kind of mixed in and the summer there isn't really warm you know, it's just those long days because being close to the, you know, the Arctic Circle and up north, uh, the poles, you get those really, really long daylight hours and then the really, really long, uh, well, dark hours, I guess, lack of lack of daylight hours. 
And the harshness is definitely like the driving point in, in, in me being there and really testing the limits. And yeah. it's <laughs> even in Maine, never grew, I never really grew up with the, the harsh range that you get there. I say the rain is like almost the worst. And I've never been to Washington, Seattle, like that kind of you know, climate where you just hear about it raining all the time. But swear to God, it'll get below 32 degrees in Kodiak and it'll still be raining somehow. Yeah. And it's the harshest thing that you ever have to deal with, is especially like out hunting or, or doing anything in, in, in the woods is being able to get through that because it's just like, how is this even possible? And you're just, you can't stay dry. It's almost impossible. I've tried so many different types of clothing and gear and, and, and you know, that's what I really enjoy doing anyway. And man, is it wild being out there. And then you just get hit with these, you know, maritime winds yeah. and it's that really salty air and it just corrodes and, and crushes everything. And they don't even salt the roads, but your vehicle's got like a ticking time bomb, you know? That salty air is gonna, you know, do its own damage. But it is it's a very, very unique place and, and the same that you see with a the snowpack there. Um do a lot of snow work and travel and uh that maritime snowpack is just you might have like a a good day of powder when it's like initial and then it just turns to ice. Yeah. You know, just yes. a solid crust of ice and um and guys get to experience that even if they don't go out on hunt real quick as you're familiar with and and flying in and out of Kodiak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Cuz it's uh, it's its own beast and you're just yeah. you're going to expect if you're there you will get a delayed flight or a canceled flight. <laughs> oh, and bless the pilots that live on Kodiak. Oh, God, These yes. are insane human beings. Mm-hmm. These Best people in the world. Yeah, they're they're the most skilled but also I've never met one that wasn't just I mean, I'm say 50% crazy. <laughs> yeah, got it. A, a few of them I met. I won't name names, but <laughs> one time they uh, landed us in the lagoon, dropped us off on the beachhead to go hike up after blacktail deer, mm-hmm. and we landed and kind of taxied up to the to the beach there. And before we could even get our packs or anything out of the, out of the plane, our our pilot was running up a hill with a, <laughs> with a pistol with like a 10 mil. <laughs> chasing a black tail around on the beach <laughs> of course he was and he was like hey hold the line hold the plane here i gotta i'll be back yep he goes running up the hill <laughs> like that's about par for this course yep that uh, sounds about folks right are, the that's, screws are some of the screws are a little bit loose oh yeah no and that's that's exactly how it, you'll just see it happen like later on in the season a lot of people who really enjoy the hunting and kind of that whole experience you know going out and, and trying to find a deer uh will go out and just brave it and get through just the, the shit terrain that it involves. And I, I, the terrain is hands down the worst part. You have the terrain and the weather, and really only in Kodiak can you find such extremes to have the salt water right there. Oh, yeah. Coastline, and then it just it just explodes up into these extremely, extremely steep alpine climates. Yeah. And I spent and a below, lot. Of t- yeah, below the alpine climates are like hummocks, yeah, that you can barely walk on when it gets no, icy. No, and, and uh, as I we talked about earlier, my opening uh, day hunt and the vegetation there is just like jungle. Like there's certain parts if you're not going to the right place, like it's impassable. It really is, especially getting the steep yeah. terrain, and you you can't even your body will not push any further. Like through the uh, salmon berries, you know, glorified uh, thorn bushes, you know, up there that just like tear you up. And uh, getting through that's just insane. But the other uh, uh, ironic part there that most people aren't aware of is that unlike Colorado, I spent a lot of time there, the 
Alpine there is usually like 11,000 feet, give or take. And in Kodiak, it's 1,100 feet. Yeah. And that can be a blessing and a curse. Like it's a good thing. It's like, obviously you're not fighting altitude or anything like that high up. It's, it doesn't, it doesn't affect you. However, it's just, just shows you that extreme weather change that just happens in such a short amount of time where you're just going from sea level to 1100 feet and you're just going to be in it. Like ridiculously high winds, like getting blown over. Yeah. I mean, in in general, that's not that far up. I mean, (laughs) not at all. I've, you know, you can, do 2,000 feet in, mm-hmm. in some place in New Zealand, other places that it's not really, you know, not really that harsh. Yeah. But on Kodiak, it's different. It's it's insane. And the – so another funny story here. The the day that I showed up in Kodiak, you know, I kind of went right in it, got with, you know, some friends that already knew they were there and want to go out and spend some time overnight uh, in the field. And it was right around hunting time. Again, uh, hunting season. Oh, I got there in like late July and hunting season opened on August 1st. And I was really, really motivated. I'm like, okay, I don't know this area at all. I was talking to some guys like, okay, where do I go? So they're kind of pointing me in this direction. Like, hey, go go this route. And, and I'd never experienced any type of jungle shit show as I did uh, in, in Kodiak. And... <laughs> swear to God, I was going out the night before. I was like, okay, I'm going to go out, bivy out overnight and hunt the following morning, you know, break it down, like be up, ready to go. I had a good place in mind, like took my maps and everything. And, uh, of course I wasn't aware of bears at this time really either. I just knew they were there and went out and I thought it was a prank. I thought the guys were just like, <laughs> oh, they're, they're pulling my chain and having one over on me. And I was just pissed the entire time. I'm like, how do you get through this? Yeah. And I'm like, there's no way they were sending me. There's no way I can get all the way up there in like in this yeah. shit. <laughs> like it was just horrible. Yeah, they call that they call it the gar hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go that way. I'm like, you gotta Go that way. you're so full of shit. And they actually really meant it, but there was just like I really got a full appreciation of deer pass there. And understanding it's like, okay, there's definitely a level of suck that you're going to have to put yourself oh, yeah. through. But I was still experiencing, gonna, you know, uh, or uh, of the false uh, presumption that I'm like, okay, I'm going to go through and find a place that just like opens up and I can walk at like a, a ridge line or something. And it's like, it never did. They're like, no, this, this deer path, like if you step one step sideways, like you're off it and you'll never find it again. And it's it's just one of those brutal <laughs> quick learning experiences <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah. yes and i think maybe the kodiak island tourism board might not like this podcast <laughs> yeah it's true man <laughs> if you like if you know there's there's company like companies like sitka gear and other companies that that really rely on folks like cole and others that that live and and hunt in that environment to test the gear because again it is one of the harshest and harshest environments that you will come across unquestionable anywhere mm-hmm. in the world i i feel and so i think that's a good setup to get into what happened to you um there's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the sunshine state or any other destination on your fishing bucket list Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 
O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth and we we also have to get into what you know a fognac island i think a fognac island for yes. a lot of folks listening to this and even for those who haven't heard the um the meat tree podcast which is steve Ranella, mm-hmm. um remy warren and a bunch of uh camera guys they're filming the mediator podcast or doing a mediator podcast filming for the Mediator TV show on a fog neck. Yep. Um, I think this would have been last year. Mm-hmm. And they were charged by a big old bear. Yep. <laughs> and uh, an interesting story ensued. Luckily there, no one was injured at all right. other than some um, some mental hurdles to get over after the fact. But mm-hmm. that's where I first heard about a fog neck. And I think that's probably where a lot of people first heard Mm-hmm. about a fog neck because Kodiak is um, a familiar name to those in the hunting industry and the fishing industry and even uh, you know just regular folks at large but a fog neck is just a different place oh for sure so uh, for the people unaware uh, <clears throat> so everything is is uh, part of Kodiak but it has so many outlying islands and a fog neck is kind of the northern big island uh, just detached from uh, Kodiak proper there's a bunch of other islands up there raspberry is a really well-known yes. one for its elk yep. and um and likewise with the fog neck and there's also marmot and spruce and all these other ones but we were out on a fog neck specifically for the elk hunting really really well known for its uh, elk population out there and uh these elk are uh uh incredible first of all we had uh, done a hunt me and some of the other guys uh the prior year and just capitalized and it was awesome had a, a great time and uh these elk are just massive they're not yeah. like the the colorado or wyoming type elk where you have you know the massive racks but they're 
just huge yeah, barrel chest just body, massive meat. one of the oh, biggest body of the elk just massive you'll ever hunt yeah and uh and we had uh, a fantastic time and uh i got to go with another guy um the same year prior to that and uh he uh he drew uh so he had a draw and he actually did his on raspberry and, and did one there so i've had a, a couple good elk hunts there and, and we wanted to repeat this year so uh, it just puts a lot of good meat in the freezer for everybody. And- yeah, and I think that answers the question of after I heard Remy and Steve's story, you know, the question becomes why a fog neck, knowing, right. you know, the inherent danger of, of the environment. I mean, mm-hmm. it is harsh, harsh yeah. environment, especially the times that you were there and mm-hmm. when those guys are over there. So, I mean, it's rain, it's suck, it's hard to move around, it takes – you know, oh, we only have to go a mile that direction. Well, that's going to take us four hours. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, so it's it's a it, we'll get into you know let you describe the a little bit of your experiences there. But you know the question of why becomes it's close to where you live. Mm-hmm. It's a plane ride away, and there's giant elk there that can give you a year's worth of meat. That's probably four hundred pounds of meat. Yeah, easily. You know, you split it up, and it's it's incredible. And uh, yeah, no, uh, the boys and I. Uh, so I'd go for an elk hunt and uh, we took a boat over actually um, and got to our kind of hunting spot where we did Yeah, how last long of a boat ride is that? Uh, I'd say like an hour and a half. So it's not long. No, it's not, it's not bad at all. Uh, not from the main like Dog Harbor area in Kodiak, depending where you launch from, but that's probably where most people launch from anyway, is Dog Harbor. And uh, it just kind of depends on, of course, the sea state and yeah. the, the tides because there's some passes that you can take to get there um, that you can get through. Otherwise, you get to go all the way around. That'll take a lot longer. But I think about an hour and a half yeah. is what it was. And as a resident, is it pretty easy to, to grab a tag to go over there? Or, or? Yeah. No. Um, the registration hunt opens um, all on the kind of, for lack of a better term, I guess, quota mm. on on how the draw hunts go. So the elk is really, really highly regulated, and it was, let's see, two seasons prior to this one where uh, none of us actually got to go. We were trying to make it work and get everybody organized, and they shut it down. So the way it works is the draw hunts all happen, and then uh, I guess some years they might not even open it, but they'll open it on the the same date. Uh, I remember what it was this year. I think it's November 23rd. Or something like that. That sounds about right, maybe. Or no. October. It'll be October twenty yeah. third. Yeah, yeah, it had to be. So October twenty third, I think, is when it opens for uh the public and you just go pick up your tag, it's free. And every day you get a call in, find out if it's still open, and then as soon as you uh do get one, you're required to call it in, I think, within forty eight hours, really the same day is optimally what you want to do. Um, just to let them know what the population is and then whether whatever quota they set fishing game does, then yeah. it's like closed down. And unlike all, you know, most other hunts, you have like five days. It's like, okay, five days, call, call in. It but up. it's like the elk is very, very strict. And because um, it's all it's all herds there. And um, I don't even know where I was going with that. But yeah, uh, October 23rd. And uh, we kind of switched out with some other guys on this hunt and sent some other guys uh over there first and then we swapped out with them and they didn't have any any luck whatsoever and as you well know and uh i know steve has good some good experience over there i've seen some of the the shows and podcasts as well but the the weather is just also just as crazy over there even probably more so i think um because there is no roads no really well 
taking pasture trails. Like if you're going to find something, your goal is to kind of get up to ridgeline and, and then hopefully you can see, but if the cloud cover is low enough, you're not gonna be able to see anything. Yeah. Like you just can't get anywhere. And, um, obviously come to find out, it's like the, the bear population there is, <laughs> is well aware of elk and, and, uh, the people there and they're not city bears. You know, they're very, uh, well-versed in, in yes. being the primal creature over there. Did you like when going into this, this particular hunt, I mean, you've hunted mm-hmm. it before, obviously, and, and, um, going into this hunt, what's your, you know, what's your mindset? You know, this would be a lot of questions in one, but had you had any bear experiences on a fog neck prior and going into this hunt, what was your preparation as far as communication with mm-hmm. the mainland, um, and medical supplies and, and, protection from bears i mean i know you like that's informed by just your general knowledge of wilderness and wilderness medicine and and what you've done in the past but that's also informed by you know what you've seen over there Mm -hmm. uh, sure been there and um so yeah me and the boys uh it's always standard for us every time we're going out bringing a sat phone um we always have a sat phone with us and at least one guy's have that we actually had multiple delorme in reaches with us yeah, those are fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, and I've, well, funny enough, I've got a good story on that when we when we get to it um, in comparison, I guess. But uh, and then guys have GPSs and, and cell phones as well that we use for GPSs. All of us uh, pretty much use the Gaia app on uh, our mm-hmm. cell phones. It's 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 great. But uh, no, those are kind of our, our primary like electronic devices that we'll use. Um, and then uh, we always have a, a first aid kit that everybody has pretty much standard with them as well as tourniquets. And then every guy's got one of those. Um, and then everybody's carrying with them. Some guys will have like a little bit more or less depending, but uh, no, everybody, everybody's got one of those. The Delorme injury inches, I think we had at least two. And then it, it, at least like a plethora of rifles, you right. know, and, and pistols, combos thereof. So I think we pretty much covered our bases. And to be honest, like when this all went down, I still think it went down textbook. Like couldn't have went any better under the circumstances and uh, never had any bear experiences over there before. And honestly, before that, had never even seen I was going to say, bear. that was my and, question. you never and, seen it. Yeah, yeah, I was kind of, kind of surprised, uh, even us. So the year prior to when we did the elk hunt, um, we kind of came up with this system. We did it all in one go and got the elk, scun them, uh, brought all the meat away from the carcasses and then built kind of a new site with a fire at it. And our theory is just, you know, having the fire hopefully keep the bear away or at yeah. least kind of deter them for a little while. And then we just kind of did this uh, shuffling uh, short movements. Um, we just go a few hundred yards, make another fire, bring the meat over there and then just cart back and forth and then just basically go fire to fire to fire to fire um, until we got back to the boats on the beach. And system really, really worked good. Never saw any bear. Uh, the only thing we saw at that point was foxes. The foxes yeah. obviously really, he's like, ooh, meat, you know. They like, seem to always <laughs> come around. <laughs> oh, for like, sure. On, the, on these islands. Oh, for sure. We'd done a, a buffalo hunt. Um, I think first year I was there uh, down towards the south end of the island. And uh, that was the first thing that I saw pop up. As soon as an elk or a buffalo went down, like that gray fox came like right up to me. He didn't care at all. He was just like, hey, what's up? And he's like, just nose in the air, like looking. He's like, oh, I smell, I smell meat. And he was uh, ready to go. But uh, it never really came up before. But that's another thing I think with the wildlife in Kodiak is there's no real predators. Yeah. I think uh, like other places, the bear 
as much as I know that they can take down like deer, elk, and buffalo, it's not really a normal occurrence. They rely on, you know, meats uh, or meats, uh, berries and twigs if they're inland or if that's what they're going for. And then mainly the salmon, of course, and that that's always their main food consumption. So I think they'll take carcasses and stuff like that when it's when it's there and, and ready, and uh, especially the more hungry they are. But uh, I, I don't know. I think just probably a waste of energy for them so they don't actually yeah. try taking them down. More scavengers. Um, but yeah, no predators there. But anyway, uh, yeah, back back to the uh, fog neck and uh, I would say uh, like as a way. as a um, you know to to make your point a little bit, mm-hmm. you go to Kodiak Island and look at how many black-tailed deer there <laughs> are. There's no way that that predation is that strong if you look across. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the predation numbers can't be that high because there are deer everywhere. 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 everywhere well i have to go on a tangent on this one now but yeah, yeah. uh specifically with the deer it wasn't this year was great phenomenal fantastic deer everywhere the deer looked really really healthy a lot of fat on them yeah. uh both mine and, and uh the ones other guys uh that i work with killed like really really good healthy deer which is really great to see because the year prior was horrendous yeah almost nobody got deer very very scarce and the reasoning for that and in, in my hypothesis and other guys that I've talked to is all because of an kind of an early freeze. Yeah, winter kill. And it just killed off all of the salmon berries. There was no salmon berries uh like on island at all. There was no season because a lot of people go out and harvest and pick them and you know make stuff with them, pies and juices and whatever else. And completely killed them off, and therefore I think the, you know the, the deer population really hurt. Not probably just because of the salmon berries, but other things that 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 frost could have killed as well. Just hurt the population so much, but the deer just thrive there. And from what I've been told, is like the entire population of deer on Kodiak started with like seven deer on a mm-hmm. separate island on Long Island, just off the coast there, and I think some down in the south end as well. And they just dropped them off, and the deer from Long Island, you know, they swam over, and the ones at the south end, like that, all just like populated, and just like blew up. Yeah, completely just these are, yeah, thrived these are there. Hardy creatures. Yeah, with the harsh conditions, but of yes. course, with no predators, that's that's what takes them down. It's it's, yeah. it's the harsh conditions and the weather, and yeah. inevitably that's so. But it's not like they're dealing with coyotes and wolves and uh, you know other predators to take them. Yeah, down. I mean, with low predation, generally low predation numbers, and and winter kill being you know winter kill and predation being kind of and habitat loss kind of being the three things that mm-hmm. normally will drive population numbers down. There's not a whole lot of any of those things other than winter kill going on. No, uh, no not at all. But the, uh, you know, I could tell you just scratch the surface. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the one time that I hunted black-tailed deer in Kodiak, I mean, you could look across the the flats, look across the hummock flats, and mm-hmm. it would be. 200 deer in one <laughs> i mean i have photos of 200 deer standing in one flat jeez over there that's can't, wild i'm i'm sworn to secrecy can't tell you where <laughs> that's quite all right that's quite all right i get it um, <laughs> I totally but yeah get I mean, but i but that's you know that's my experience on one small part of the island but mm-hmm. it for sure is in that harsh environment to see those animals thrive like that that's mm-hmm. that's um was always amazing to me yeah no, they're like you said, hardy animals. Back to Fognack. Back to Fognack. Yeah, another tangent there. Um, uh, all good tangents. Yeah, that's what podcasts are about. They're all about <laughs> tangents. So, so you had never you had quite the system for for getting your meat out, um, and never had any any uh, bear experiences. 
to this point, but still very prepared. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys are For all sure. carrying sidearms, correct? Not not everybody. Uh, some guys had sidearms, and uh, some guys had rifles, and then some guys didn't have anything at the point. Just kind of like because of the situation when we did. Uh, go for the elk things had kind of changed over the course of time at first everybody everybody had a rifle on them yeah um but our our goal had changed like okay we're only getting one elk and uh that was really the 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 deal is like okay we're only getting one elk this time it's like just bring it out because kind of setting up for that uh the guys prior hadn't seen anything the conditions were just horrible yeah they were just got awful like it was really really high winds heavy rains cold and uh, we just wanted to so focus on normal, getting on one. Normal conditions. Right, yeah, norm, normal conditions there. And even the cloud cover was was low a lot of the times and, uh, of course, affected visibility. So first we were gung-ho, and I think we were there for two days and hadn't seen anything. We didn't even see any deer. Like, we're just talking about the deer population. Didn't see any deer, didn't see any elk, didn't see any bear, didn't see anything. No foxes. Like, I didn't see anything living <laughs> practically on not that Not a island. ptarmigan. And it's like, not, you got to be kidding me. It's like nothing. Uh, and we're like, okay, that was a little disheartening. And the other guys were the same way. And we're like, okay, well, it's definitely, it's a relatively big island when you're on foot and having to work. Yeah. Like you've mentioned before, it's like it takes you hours to go anywhere so you got to kind of set yourself up and not knowing where the actual like population of elk is like can really hurt you yeah did you guys bring and, any like bear fencing or when you camped every night or did you just nope just camping yep just yeah. asses out and <laughs> hope nothing bad happens <laughs> talk about that a lot because we spent a lot of days uh out in the field like sleeping overnight and uh spent a lot of nights out in the field uh in a bivy and just this, you know, small like rainproof sack, and yeah. just call it a bear burrito because <laughs> it's going to be a bad day if that bear decides that you smell really good and decides to take you. He's going to rip that burrito open. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And uh, nope, that's all we had is just our uh, shelters, and we were down more towards the coast. And because of the numbers, we weren't. We've never yeah. really had issues before. It's as soon as you have the the meat and all that, I think that's when it changes everything. Yeah. They're willing to, you know, they're willing to inch a little bit further in, yeah. because of the reward rather than, mm-hmm. you know, how many guys you have in your in your hunt? Five, five, including myself. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, five with five total. people, that's yeah. that's a good deterrent for a bear. But so. when there's the the um, the encouragement to come and check that meat out, mm-hmm. it's probably a little bit more. I think the. I don't know. People have different theories and, and uh, their own stories. And I think fire always helps too. So it's like when you have a base camp, you know, having that fire, it's kind of like, okay. I think, I don't know. If you're cooking something, that's going to change stuff. But as soon as you have a fire and the smoke, I would think that, you know, the bears don't really like that. But then again, maybe they do. There's uh, some theories on the gunshots and Kodiak being like dinner bells. Dinner bells. Yep. Oh, yeah. You hear that all the time. And it's like, okay, that's the time that you have to be most aware like bear aware, as they say, because it's like as soon as that happens, like you're just waiting. Yeah. Did you guys ever consider bear spray as a, as something you would do? Would you do? You know, like- yeah. Uh, and I know a, guy, a lot of guys use it. I'm not a huge proponent of it. Um, I still prefer a, you know a sidearm if I'm gonna carry something and not carry a full rifle. Otherwise, I always try to carry a full rifle with me. Um, I don't know the the bear spray uh, supposedly works, but as we talked about with the the guy that was just. Uh, just got mauled in montana you know hit twice by that sow and, and she obviously ran straight through the the bear spray and, and yeah. i've heard other accounts of that and i think with the bears that are there if they want you if they want what you have they're gonna get it it's only yeah. for yeah i think that kind of bear that's kind of curious that makes you feel more uneasy like in all honesty like with a with a bunch of guys around like 
you're probably going to scare the bear off. The bear, bear's probably not going to like have any interest and eventually go away. He might get close and that might scare you, but like you'll probably pull out the bear spray, I think, in fear. And that's why I think a lot of times like you hear about the, you know, the false charges and people shooting bear and it does kind of suck. It's like, yeah, of course you're going to protect yourself and, and others. But uh, when a bear is just kind of like, hey, you're in my area and just kind of like. Yeah, the pissed, bluff charge is a, that's a confusing it's, it's hard. Thing. And, you know, I know uh, other hunters have, have had those experiences plenty of times before, including Cole, as we you know yeah. discussed before. I Absolutely. Love, love the guy and, you know, what's up, Cole? But uh when when he actually hit me up after the event, uh, when he found out and he gave me shit, he's like, hey, asshole. <laughs> it's supposed to be me that gets eaten yeah. by the bear. He's like, I'm the bear guy. Like, this is supposed to happen to me first, not you. So he gave me plenty of shit. But, uh, yeah, I know it's a, a very real thing. And, and the bear spray, if if you're going to – if that's all you got – Awesome, you know yeah. that, that's all you get. But definitely strength numbers and and Do you guys always stick known. together when you're when you're in a place like Florida? no, and that was uh, you know the part of the thing. But um, again, we were just focused on the elk then. Yeah. You know, not seeing anything else. The last thing any of us were expecting to run into was bear. Yeah, um, okay. in those conditions. And well, let's um, let's get into it. Yeah. Um, so, so so you guys had hunted a couple of days, not mm-hmm. seen hide nor hair. Yeah, nothing. Um, I think it was, and I take that back, I think it was the end of the second day, just as the sun was going down, where uh, another guy that was with me, uh, he he spotted him. Finally, we are like, we're just trying to find different spots, like going through the, the spruce and, uh, and, and finding open areas where we can kind of glass and see whatever we can see. And finally, high up on a ridgeline, saw like two to four of them, I think, well, now three, four four like four elk high up on the ridge line way thank god okay it's like we finally saw something we know that they're there awesome immediately like all right let's break down let's head back let's see where we can get the boats in like with you know with the surf and the wind the way they were we want to make sure and like kind of make this plan of attack to get up to where they were the following morning so we scoped it out looked on some maps just kind of glassed the area and uh found this bridge line that we decided to take and um Made our plan and, you know, set it up following morning, got up really early before the sun and started hiking up and uh, certainly no easy going there. You know, it took, <laughs> yeah. us, took us a little while, but we made it up. And I think the line was still the best that, w- that we could have taken. And finally got up on the ridge line and uh, hadn't seen anything. And conditions were still terrible. Uh, I think the weather predicted that, it, you know, it was supposed to be better. Of course, it was not. It was the opposite. Yeah. It was actually more rainy. And... uh didn't seem at first, and we had our suspicions because uh, if people aren't aware, no, you know, elk are very nomadic. They're not like deer where it's like, oh, sun goes down, like they're gonna, they're gonna yeah. graze a little bit, maybe bed down, like they'll probably be there and then move. No, elk can move like really great distances, like off in the night, and so of course we get out there and we're like, shit, gosh damn it, like where are they? And I started walking the ridge lines more and finally saw them, but it wasn't for the whole herd, and I hadn't seen a full herd of elk yet. Um, no, well in, in Kodiak anyway, like I'd yeah. heard that like, okay, there's always, you know, big herds of them, but we've always just seen like onesies, twosies and that's what we've hunted. And honestly, that's kind of better just cause you don't have oh, so many course. eyes on you, yeah, but, but finding eyes. the herd was like really, really nice to like, Oh, we were just, you know, really, really excited. Finally finding them. So we're at the top of the ridgeline. They're at the bottom of the Valley. And then it was kind of like, great, but now what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we're just sitting there for a while and looking around. And yeah, uh, how far below you are they at this point? Uh, I don't know what elevation we are. We were pretty high. We had we were definitely above Alpine, so 
I don't think we were top elevation, 1,300 feet or so. Yeah. And then they were almost probably at sea level. Sea level. Yeah, not, not very much higher. So um, there was very little cover getting down to them. A lot of alder, but not really like good spruce where you're going to get a, a shot anyway. So that was really the talk is like, okay, how do we get down to these elk um, within range, get a shot, and then, of course, getting them out, af- out, uh, or out afterwards. And we figured we'd probably just take the valley out. But uh, we decided, like, hey, with those five of us, let's split up. Three go on one side of the herd and two stay on the other side of the herd. And we're basically just kind of try to make our way down and pray that they don't just find out we're there and then jet on the other side of the valley. Hopefully, they'll just kind of, like, either move one way or the other because they weren't really moving too much. They They seemed a little weird, a little off. We couldn't really tell what it was. And... So we just like, okay, let's just split them, get down, and then whoever can yeah. take a shot, we'll hear the shot, and like, cool, that's it, and then go to the other guys. And uh, so we started moving, and myself and two other guys, we were the three-man group, and started moving to, to one side of them, making our way across the ridgeline, then eventually down. And then, of course, we run into three other hunters. <laughs> and <laughs> As it seems. Oh, my God. Couldn't believe it. We were just just in awe. One, we'd already been there two days. Like It was definitely like a pissed-off moment. And they were below us. They never saw us. Um, far, far down below us, they were just glassing. And it was like, okay, rightfully so. However they got there, you know, they got there. They were clear. They are in front of us. But it pissed us off because no tact whatsoever, <laughs> right out in the open, <laughs> moving straight towards the elk. And I'm like, okay, no wonder the elk are kind of like weird. You know, their eyes are up on the hills. Uh, They're like, well, there we go. It's like... These, you know, whatever. Gentle, I don't, I don't, gentlemen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, gentlemen. I don't know who they were, but gentlemen it was like hunters. definitely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> definitely hey, annoying. They're probably just, they want it to be fair chase. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. And, uh, you know, they were doing their thing and whatever. Maybe it worked out for them. I don't know. But uh, obviously it ticked us off and like, okay, well, rightfully so. These guys are lower. We're going to give them the, sort of like the right away. But like, we're, we're not going to end here. Yeah. Like, all right. The three of us decided, like, hey, let's book it back to the other side, kind kind of climb back up the ridgeline, make our way over, trying to spook the elk, and then get back with the other two guys. Sure. I'm like, okay, from there, we're just going to try to make our way down and uh, get on the other side. So it's like, hey, if, if we get down low enough, we take a shot first, then so be it. Or if they take a shot, hopefully they'll kind of, like, push them, drive them towards us so we'll kind of be ready. So I kind of took the lead running, sprinting my ass off to link up with the other two guys and um, – the two that were with me were behind me and we're just kind of moving across the ridge line. I start making my way across and then eventually down. And I'm just kind of starting to break down uh, out of Alpine into the, uh, the alder, the thick brush there. And I saw the hat sticking out of the alder of, of one of the other guys. So that was kind of my eye. And uh, one of the guys that was with me, he got my attention. He's like, hey, he's like, we want to take a, another line down. And we were separated, uh, you know, a good distance at this point. So I started my waking making my way up towards him and this is a really really steep hill and matter of fact there's a there was a cliff kind of separating us um not huge or anything but it was probably you know 30 40 feet wide maybe like 15 20 feet tall just enough that it's like he's not gonna like jump down over it it's like he's gonna be above it with the other guy and i'm below it and we're kind of converging at that cliff and then paralleling at that point so i'm kind of just coming up towards the cliff kind of coming back up the hill at this point and i step over this rock kind of climb over it like terrain feature so to speak and uh, as soon as i do I, I stand up and turn and right down the alder five yards away there she is 
and uh, immediately, like, you know, just stopped, froze. And what's you at, know, at this, like, what's she doing? Is she looking at you? Is she looking away? Nope. So, so that was it. Is like when I saw her, it was just, just a big ball of fur. Yeah. Like, no features, no anything. All I just see is this big thing of fur. And, uh, you know, I just, I just stopped and I, I couldn't really make out anything. And of course, everything immediately like slows down. And the way I rela- have related the story with other people that I've told is kind of like the state of flow. Yeah. Where I'm like, okay, everything immediately went in slow motion. I got like no concept of time from this point on. Like everything slowed down, I'm making all the decisions in my head. And um, so for me, I'm just, you know, the gears are turning. And the first instinct I didn't know you know, I just big thing of fur. Okay, what is it? You know, my mind's like, okay, processing, processing, because I'm not even thinking about bear. I'm thinking about elk, and I'm like, okay, that's not the right color. And the color was actually like grayer. It wasn't really brown, like even yeah. a brown bear or an elk. And I'm like, okay, processing. But of course, no time whatsoever. I just, I just stand up there, and as soon as I did, uh, I took a step back, and because it kind of dawned on me finally, okay, this whatever it is is not good. I know, I know better, and took one step back and whether it was the point where she finally heard me or finally smelt me and caught wind of me, she just turned her head and charged like immediately. And, uh, and and as soon as I took the step back, I I knew that was going to be the case anyway. Like I said, with my experiences with bears, like everything's good, fine and dandy because you don't surprise them. Like you never surprise a bear. Like they know you're there well before you do. Yeah. Otherwise, like you're hunting it from like hundreds of yard, yards away. You know, you're glassing them. But like if you're That's that right. close, like no way. They know you're there. And so as soon as I did, I'm like, I, there was no doubt in my mind. I'm like, this is going to happen. Like there's, she there's no getting out of this. You don't feel like she was pro- processed anything. She smelled no, or it heard. It was instinct. Like there was an instinctual, mm-hmm. like there's danger. Yep. Something's not right. Yep. I've got to. Address, oh, I have to address this issue. Yeah. There was no and and being five yards away, I don't have to exaggerate the distance. Wherever I know, I know five yards very well. And for people unaware, you know, that talk about running away from bears and stuff, bears run at thirty plus miles an hour. Yeah. Like that's that's a leap. You know, yeah. a way that the the bears can just—they're insane. Yeah, that's like somebody fast. F- you being five yards from the hood of a car and somebody flooring it. Yeah, no, you're thinking you're going to jump out of the way. They could cover a, th- let's see, a five yards, and in, no, in a millisecond, yeah, really. No well, time. at top speed, so yeah, it took a little bit longer than that. But in real time, like that's a second, really. Yeah. And how and, long? I mean, you're when you're processing, you see the bear, you're mm-hmm. processing it. It's moments until it charges you. I mean, no, no, it was almost instantaneous. Like right. I said, I stood up and and I did take a step back because once it immediately clicked, which is you know probably a millisecond, she probably as soon as I stood up probably smelt me or whatever and took her probably a millisecond too yeah. just to turn. So I don't really know the, the time wise there, but I just knew there was no. She didn't. She wasn't standing up. There was no like snort. There was no like you know kind of bluffing, beefing up. It was just like like it startled her, you know, scared her. She's like, what is this that just really snuck up behind me? Because just by her head turn, she was uh, facing downhill. And in my suspicion as well, these other guys, she's probably hunting the same elk we were. Oh, for sure. Like wanted, you know, something to do with them, whether she was going to hunt them or like, you know, capitalize on something else. She was there for a reason, like right near the elk. And she was just hunkered down in the alder, either sneaking, wait, making her way through or just like waiting. Waiting, there. yeah. And... So when I came up behind her, it was sheer surprise. So, of course, instinctively, I immediately yelled out bear and instinctively was 
pulling my rifle up, I ripped the scope cover off and started presenting, you know, my rifle and I I knew I'm like this isn't going to happen. And this is the first time out and I've I've shot it a few times now, but I got a new uh new rifle, 65 Creed more. Yeah. And I was really excited about it because it was insanely light. I my goal is I really like guns and I a uh, huge proponent of like I just love shooting in general. But I built this specifically to be extremely light, like the lightest rifle I have. The whole thing with five rounds in it is less than six pounds. Yeah. So it's like a toothpick, you know, the you're holding rifle, it. So yeah, it's so yeah. great, you know, yeah. great, going to be great for goats <laughs> and future elk hunts and everything else. But of course, it's not going to take down a bear. Never in a million years I ever Yo, take no, that as a backup. Creed more would, it's it, yeah. for people that don't know. It's this little, little, teeny, tiny round. Like it's it's goes shoot fast and straight, and it's going to take a lot of shot placement. But it's it doesn't have a lot of power, and especially for a bear. And I knew I'm like, nope. I'm like, okay, if I get this hip shot, if anything off, it's just going to piss her off. It's not going to take her down. And then I'm going to take 500 pounds to the face and the body and just I'll end up like one of those stories. And all of this is just turning in my mind. And I, I knew it, started raising it, threw it down, and then I just Superman down the hill. <laughs> and of course, when I say that, it's like, yeah, it's a little bit of a drop, but I'm not really going anywhere. Yeah. And uh, just kind of jumped in the alders and covered up my head and neck as best I could. And again, no concept of time, but it felt like I didn't even hit the ground and she was already on me. She had a bite in the back of my leg, uh, high up on my uh, right leg, just just below my ass. And she picked me up just by that and just threw me. Threw me over that same like rock, like kind of terrain feature that I was kind of falling down. I, I fall on my head. She's just kind of like, just throwing me around like a rag doll. She picks me up and as I'm falling she's trying to rebite me and she uh she bites me in the nuts and I'm kind of like head down face down I just feel her top two canines like going into the taint and I'm like that's oh, not the good taint like bite. I, the taint I, bite. I fall and, and she's just biting me in the leg like traveling on the leg bites me real hard almost like kind of behind the knee at this point and fortunately like the the guys were Johnny on the spot. Of course, this is just like seconds. This is happening, yeah. and uh, the you, guy. Do you, you remember screaming or yelling? I did on the first one, but it's it's funny, you know. Training dogs, I think it had a lot to do with. It. And when you train dogs, like for for bite work and stuff, uh, it drives them. Just like when they say with animals, like the whole playing dead thing, it actually has a lot of uh, uh, truth behind it because it is. It's just kind of like this instinctual prey that when you do bite. Uh, or when they bite and like, and you scream, it just drives them even more to bite harder. So the first one I yelled out, and I'm like, mm-mm. I'm like, that was obviously making things way worse. And I'm like, okay, this is it. It's like, this is going to suck. Like, this is going to be really, really bad. And even when I dove, I'm like, I knew that. Like, there's no protecting myself. It's fully relying on everybody else around me to take over at this point. I'm like, okay, here's trusting the boys. Like, I know they know their shit. Like, this is it. You covering and, your head at this yeah, point? Like yeah, just, yeah, I'm just, yeah. Uh, I never let go. I was like, just head, you know, or hands behind the head and neck. And, uh, you know, I kind of got a gash in my eye from just getting thrown into some alder or something at some point. But I'm like, yeah, I'm not letting go. Like, this is, you know, this is all I got, like, to to hold on to. And um, right at, at when she was still on the leg, she, uh, 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 the guy above me took a shot, you know. And, uh, you know, as, as he tells it, too, Obviously, we all collected our own stories after the event, and yeah. uh, he uh, he didn't hear what I said. None of them did. Like they were all like somewhat close by, but they just they couldn't make out what I said. Like uh, I was yelling bear, but uh, just said it once, and then I was you know mauled. 
and they just heard the scream and then they heard all the growling and then they you know immediately immediately knew so all i did is get up over the cliff and he peered down and he had to kind of make a judgment call at that point because couldn't see me like the bears just like engulfed on me like couldn't see me at all made a judgment call and uh put one you know high in her back and wherever that bullet ended up i don't know but fortunately it didn't end up me and and you know I would have done the same thing. Like I'm, I'm thankful he did it and didn't kill her. You know, it just kind of pissed her off and out of fear and anger. She bit me again, like kind of clawing at my back at this point. And uh, the backpack definitely yeah, you were wearing saved. a stone glacier. Stone glacier, back. yeah. Shout little, out to little, stone glacier. Jesposito. Appreciate you, buddy. I even told calls like, "Hey, man, like I know you know those guys. Like, let them know." I was like, "Definitely save my ass." Um, and I got, I got a few claw marks on my back, but uh, no, it definitely took some took some heavies and uh, saved me. But she, you know, kind of got uh, to the side and then sunk one in my arm pretty good. And uh, then the second shot went out. Just she just reloaded really quick, quick, put a, another one in her. Had a little bit better shot then, and that one dropped her. You know, it kind of at that point hurt her enough. I heard a very distinct moan, kind of that kill shot type type deal. And uh, she fell kind of on top of me, but a little to the side too, not really engulfing me. And <laughs> ironically, it was I was a little more nervous at that point, even not being bit because she was right there. I was more nervous about my my the back of my head and neck because I couldn't see her at all. I'm kind of on my left side, you know, with my hands behind my head and neck and looking up the hill at the, the two other guys that were with me um, when we split up. And uh, all I could see was, or all I could just feel is just her. And like, I could hear the breath. I could feel the fur. I'm like, oh God, I'm like, just don't bite me. Like, that's all I kept thinking. I was like, all right, I'm hoping that bite doesn't come like on my head or something. And fortunately she started kind of crawling away. She was obviously really hurting at that point and uh, barely kind of stumbling, crawling away. Couldn't see her. I was just still faced uphill. But uh, the other guy that was um, with me and the other one, when we split up, he ran down the hill and uh, he had a Glock uh, 20 on him with 10 mil. And uh, he just kind of got to me, pulled out the Glock, ran by me, and just dumped a mag. You know, just dumped a mag in there, finish her off, make sure she wasn't going to come after us anymore. And um, immediately at that point is when I just I started taking the backpack off, unzipping clothing, like trying to get things. Couldn't move my leg at all at this point. It was just, I knew that was the worst of it. And little side note on this one, uh, unfortunately, I was completely unaware, but what I found out afterwards is when they took that first shot is, uh, you know, put one in her, in her, in her back, they saw a cub run out of yeah. the, the alder. Yeah. So of course, like I've told everybody is like, not having the experience that I do with bears, which is pales in compared to some, some, to some people, of course, but they're not aggressive. They're not nasty. It's like I've been around sows and cubs before and just keep your distance. But with the conditions the way they were, with the heavy rains and the winds, it's like a come up on her and uh, definitely surprised her. Yeah, she was probably hunting the elk territorial, and she had a yeah. cub. It's like there's no no oh escaping gosh. this. You know, yeah, no I mean that's, that's a perfect that's a perfect storm yeah. for lack of a better term, and her heightened protective instincts there oh, for sure. Just, Any surprise? She knows the cub, and it sounds like cub was below her probably. Yeah. So yeah, you were was. you know so you it was you her and the cub yeah i never saw the cub at all you know it was, no. it was completely out, out of my sight and out of my mind but uh yeah, no, generally when people folks think about bear attacks they're thinking about this 
situation. Sal, yeah. cub. Yeah, it is. It's definitely, you know, the worst mama, mama bear and her cubs. Like, that's what you don't want to mess with. And it's yeah. like, that's, that's the most precarious when you're getting around that type of situation. It's like, okay, this isn't just a bear, yeah. like, with some fish. And, like, you know, it's like, you got to be more cautious and, and definitely make it aware that you don't want anything to do with them. How, how but, long do you think the, the attack lasted? <laughs> no idea. Like, only <laughs> seconds. Like, I would say probably still under a minute. Um, for sure, the, the whole ordeal is probably still only like a minute, and that's how that's long all did it kick. feel for you? <sighs> that's hard to say too. It's a totally different world. Yeah, um, been in plenty of kind of flow type states in my life where I've been under a lot of stress, and uh, and I don't know. Uh, people always ask me too. Is like, did you pass out? I'm like, no, I didn't pass out, and I. I think the adrenaline took over in a lot of ways that I wasn't in a lot of pain initially either. A lot of it was just like a really, really heightened sense of what was going on. It wasn't the sense where I was like, okay, I didn't know what was going to, you know, what I was doing or anything. I just knew that my best situation for survival is just being extremely keen on everything going on and in. Like, even as the bites were happening, I'm kind of thinking to myself, like, okay, I know what those wounds could be, like the worst case scenario, like what it is. Like, okay, here, that's what I'm going to have to do afterwards to treat yeah, this. Yeah, it sounds and, like you're thinking practically. Yeah, I wasn't thinking, I'm like, oh, this is it, this is it, the end. Yeah, like, you weren't no, thinking about your friends, your family. Like, the no, end, it no. really wasn't. I was just thinking, like, the situation as it is, just really, really in the moment and as everything was going on. So, naturally, again, as soon as that the other guy that had the pistol, like, ran by me, that's initially it was my first thought. I was like, okay, the the you know the battle's over. It's 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 won. It's done. It's taken care of. Now it's like, okay, we gotta we gotta treat this yeah. um, everything yeah. that's going on with me. And I knew the other guys had this, the same process. Like they're figuring everything out. And um, did you you know during during the attack, mm-hmm. you remember any distinctive sounds or smells or things that that ping your memory back to that? Uh, um, I certainly remember the the growling and everything the bear was making. Um, that's unquestionable. Um, fortunately, there was no like gnarly bone breaks or anything that yeah. I had to endure or hear or crunching or anything like that. It was just her and I. I remember kind of the snorts and the breathing and uh, the smells. No, I. Uh, and I know that sounds kind of funny because I know smells are some of the, the biggest, it's it's the number one sense that recalls memory. And no, I don't really have a lot of smells, probably because there wasn't a whole lot besides moisture in the air, you know, <laughs> yeah. for me to smell. Yeah. Um, given the conditions and the winds and probably the same reason why she didn't smell me either. Yeah. And that's all I can think of. But yeah, I hadn't really thought of, about the smells too much, but... Uh, but just the, her, the yeah. impact of her teeth and claws. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, no, certainly felt it and... Um, and and knew but it was uh you know definitely kind of surreal and it's it's weird because whenever i think back upon it too is i've kind of different visions of the same thing not necessarily ptsd or anything but i definitely uh think back on it and different points of view of being in first person and also in third person and just like experience the same thing so it's kind of unique but um yeah quite quite the experience there the uh the treatment portion in itself was um, <laughs> pretty funny too. One of the um, so the other two uh, after everything happened, and, you know, they finished. Yeah, off so the let's bear. Say, yeah, let's, yeah, let's yeah, sorry. Return to uh, the timeline. Uh, I definitely had to get to it because it is kind of funny. And I got a really good bunch of group group of guys with me, and uh, one of them has some pretty good medical experience that he's had in his past, and um, he came over, and everybody's kind of getting their ducks in a row, so to speak, and. 
delegating stuff out and uh, guys are reloading because they're also, we're also thinking, hey, the Cub or multiple Cubs could still be around. Like, doesn't mean they can't come back. Like, Cub can mess you up just as well yeah. as, you know, Mama Bear could, um, especially one that might be, you know, ticked off or protective of, of Mama Bear. So the guys were, you know, uh, very weary of that as well, but fortunately never, never saw the, the Cub. And uh, they immediately just start breaking out the, the um, uh, sat phone, Delorme inReaches, and getting on those. And uh, Delorme inReach, they activated the SOS beacon that was on it, and um, guys were getting on the sat phone, making phone calls. So as this was happening, um, you know, as I said, I'm taking off my clothing as best I could, just like unzipping stuff and, and trying to get stuff out. And I had my aid kit, and I'm telling them where that is, and, and they were using their own aid kits as well. And the guy that was uh, working on me, he's, you know, starts to get his shears out and he's cutting all the, the clothing off on me and uh, and trying to get at the wounds. And immediately when he came up to me, I told him, like, hey, I need a tourniquet on my right leg. Um, just practice that we've done before because I knew that the, the leg took the worst and I was nervous about any type of, like, heavy artery, artery damage, damage it could be. Yeah. And um, certainly where the wounds were, fortunately that wasn't the case, but it, it still could have been under the circumstances, especially was, couldn't move my legs. So. Yeah, was there a lot of blood? I mean, it was, it was, there was significant, but... F- Really, there wasn't. Yeah. Um, certainly not enough to put me in a shock or anything. Just you know, a fair bit of blood just from you know. So the, like the, your buddies the get down. There's trauma, but there right. wasn't. But of course, I'm like wearing you know uh, one set of pants and then rain pants and then gaiters and then yeah. boots. So everything is kind of covering everything up. So you can't really see besides just a bunch of pun- puncture wounds everywhere, like holes in in the uh, the yeah. clothing. So once he starts cutting everything off, he's kind of sees them, rolls me over, and he's like, okay we can take the tourniquet off. Cause like, it was good. We're just going to pack this. The blood's not that bad. And, uh, I was like, I <laughs> mean, the only thing going through my head is cause I've had, uh, some training with tourniquets and stuff before. I'm like, okay, we gotta go real slow because I do not want to lose my leg <laughs> because <laughs> it's happened before where guys have taken tourniquets off too fast. And that rush of blood back into the appendage yeah, will yeah. just, that's how you lose one. So a little nervous on that point, but we're kind of we're going through and he's looking at the wounds like okay they're not that bad and I'm trying to point out other wounds but I knew that the leg was the worst but as soon as you kind of get through it I'm like hey I'm like but I need you to I need you to look at my taint I'm like <laughs> I'm like I know because I remember that and I was like okay I don't want to laugh right yeah now, no oh no I was laughing I was just saying I'm, I'm telling you like I'll have to show you pictures afterwards but uh, I was going through the moment of it and I'm like okay no homo here but I really need you to check my taint and he's like okay it's like you know you know, un- undoes it, pulls up my, you know, underwear, but it's kind of underneath and he looks and he's like, no, you're good, bud. And I'm like, okay. But I knew something was wrong. I'm like, mm, it doesn't feel right. And uh, he, you know, kind of goes back, uh, you know, through looking, you know, cutting off other pieces of clothing. And uh, I'm like, no, man, like something's not right. I need you to, I need you to really check. <laughs> so he cuts off the pants, like to my underwear, at least at this point, and like lifts up the underwear. And even before that, you could see the underwear, just a hole in it with just blood everywhere. And I'm like, Damn it. <laughs> so it lifts it up and like, yep, I'm like just looking down, like just as, you know, looking underneath my underwear. I'm like, yep, there it is. There's my testicle hanging out. I'm like, great. And, uh, you know, he sees it too. He's like, okay. And, uh, you know, I just reach down, like, got to put that back in, pretend that oh, like that never happened. <laughs> dude. And uh, <laughs> so then, of course, that's all that was hey, on my look- mind. I'm like, gosh, damn it. I'm like, you got to be shitting me. And I also, I'm also like still aware. I'm like, okay, I know my arm and my back is kind of messed up. And I'm like, okay, here's one here. And I'm like, I tell him, he cuts it off. He's like, yep, okay, I see it. And, you know, they're packing those wounds as well. And 
But it was still on my mind. I'm like, hey, does anybody have any, like, a sock or something I can shove down there? Like, oh, I don't want it to pop woo. out again. Because that's all I'm thinking. Well, I hope still attached, though, huh? Oh, it was. You know, like little nunchucks, you know, hanging around. Oh, <laughs> baby. Still down there. Still yeah. good. But So you felt like it's attached. Yeah, it's like, it's got to be still good, Functional. right? Functional. You know. And there's just been like a, you know, like a, the bubble has burst. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, I know guys have like visectomies and stuff, but it like, it doesn't come out. They just like reached in there and, you know, make a little snip, 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 and it's good. You know, cut the little, whatever it is down there, vas deferens or whatever it is. And, uh, I'm like, oh man, you gotta be kidding me. And so of course it was on my mind. I'm, I'm like nervous about it coming back out and. So I'm like, I was asking, like, didn't we get like a sock or something? I just didn't want it to pop out like when I'm getting moved around and stuff. I'm like, gosh, like damn it. Bandana or Yeah, exactly. Something. And it's like, game no, it's bag like it's, it's, it's in the underwear, like it's good, like not gonna focus on it, but of course I'm focused on it. And uh the jokes just start coming out immediately. <laughs> like guys are like, Don't worry about it, man. You only need one, like you still have kids, like really like lighthearted guys. And I'm just laughing. Lance at the Armstrong same time. Yeah. as well. Honestly, I was in really good spirits to the whole thing. Like he wasn't gonna die, I knew nothing bad was gonna happen. I'm laughing too, and we're cracking jokes and immediately, you know, barely made it out. <laughs> you know, as many bear jokes as you can make uh, immediately and it just started. The hairy so situation. Hairy yeah. situation. I could go all day. And uh it was great, but uh I know he, they found some like little scary strip type things and put that on there. And of course, you know, if you have any type of like organs or body, you're never supposed to put them back in. So that was also kind of a thing. I'm like, ah, no, I'm gonna, that's okay. I'll put them back in. Like, I don't want that thing just hanging around willy nilly. I'm putting that back yeah, in. Yeah, it's going in. Against and, uh, medical advice, <laughs> I'm right. putting it back in. I, right. There's there's no, that just. Yeah, I hope, I was like, I never want anybody to experience that because that's not a fun feeling just seeing it like hanging out. As I'm a like, podcast yeah. host, speechless right yeah. now. Continue. Yeah. I have nothing to add to the conversation. <laughs> there's nothing I can say. Continue your so, story. So uh, it's at this point, you know, I'm kind of patched up and uh, the guys are getting out their, you know, puff jackets, insulating jackets and trying to cover me back up because I'm essentially kind of naked on one half of my body. And given the conditions, it was pretty brutal. And I got to say, with the whole experience, that was certainly the worst part was just enduring the cold. Yeah. And I'm certainly no stranger to cold. Uh, living up there, being from Maine before that, and doing a lot of type of outdoor training um, and, and having experiences. I know the cold, but that one, I was just jackhammer. It was it was hard going. Um, waiting on the Coast Guard, which we had uh, gotten in contact with um, via the yeah. the sat phone. So how quickly how quickly to the wounds are dressed as well as they could, uh, the testicles back in its place. Everything is is. You guys feel like stable at this point. Mm -hmm. How quickly did that happen until you were making those calls and expecting the rescue? So um, we were on the bird. We had no idea what to expect with them as yeah. time-wise and how soon they would get there. Um, getting spun up, I, I, it's it's not a long flight. Like It's only like, I want to say, 15, 20 minutes for them to fly yeah. Yeah. Um, from the base to a, to a fog neck. As we talked um, about before, it's a scary thing just because of the weather. You don't yeah, know. No, it yeah, change so quickly. Exactly. And, and there were, the cloud cover had kind of lifted. It wasn't as low as it had been earlier in the day, so that was certainly a blessing. But uh, it still wasn't great conditions by any means either. And, of course, they still had to find us, but uh, we were walking them on. Guys were joining on the spot with grid coordinates, um, passing them like Latin long, whatever they needed it in. And uh, got them the coordinates and, and walked them on there. But I did want to touch out on, on one piece because you mentioned it earlier, and that was a learning point for our, us is the Delorme inReach. Yeah. So 
the inReach SOS button. We activated it. Yeah, so if it, nobody is what like the Delorme inReach is is a it's a GPS slash you know GPS communicator that you can text on. I right. use it to text my wife mm-hmm. so I stay in good graces when I'm off. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> off the grid, yeah. And on the side of it, there's a SOS button. You can peel back this this plastic you know rubber covering and mm-hmm. push this SOS button that's supposed to send a signal out, uh, a beacon right. saying um, something happened bad. Come it, get me. Exactly. That's it. And you know we use it for the primary reason just like you said texting is one of the biggest things when we're off the grid we can't text any other means and we're not going to waste uh minutes and time on that sat phone so it's been great for that however we never really knew what the sos button was going to do you know like no most of those around for for oh somebody come save me you know save our souls you know that's literally what it is and we activated it fortunately had the the sat or the sat phone with us but when we activated it Come to find out afterwards, the state troopers got it first. Um, talked to a state trooper when I was in the hospital, and, and he's like, "Yeah, it's like they got the the call first. But by the time they got the call, didn't really know what it was. They just knew it was some sort of emergency beacon. No idea of the situation. I think it gives them a, a, a GPS coordinate and uh, just tells them something bad's happened. That's pretty much it. And probably like, the user." name i yeah, think like, like whatever here. his information is because it wasn't my my dorm it was just somebody else's mine was just still in my yeah, bag this guy in trouble these cords. right exactly and so that went out and by the time they had any inclination of what was going on what it was coast guards already spun up on their way so saw like they were really you know quick to react like they were because we had them on the sat phone yeah, i was that's gonna say why. without a sat phone then it would have been like okay they would have had to call the coast guard the coast guard would have had no idea what was going on they would have had to reached out on the delorum you know and, and i don't know if that's via text how that would go down or or, or what but uh would have been a little bit different maybe even longer and uh so as this was going down, um, I'm just kind of you know sitting there waiting at this point. There's nothing else to do. The guys that weren't on the the comms uh, piece were just kind of cutting branches because we knew you know getting a, a bird in, they're gonna come lift me out, and uh, so they're just kind of cutting down branches in the area trying to clear you know pave away. Couldn't really move. Um, I th- think you know given different circumstances, if I didn't have another bunch of guys around me, and if I was solo, it would have been. Uh, a, 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 just a hellacious story. Like, who knows what have, what or could have happened, you know? But uh, fortunately, that was not the case. So yeah, I was the, just, the other know, two I guys in your wait. other two guys in your hunting party still don't know this is going on, or are oh they, no, they were with us. The the other two that were separate, they yeah, heard the, all the commotion. That's what and, I mean. So they came up. Yeah, the, it was it was uh, that guy or one of the two that actually he came up and he was the one treating my wounds. Okay, so I got he was you. one with medical. So all experience. you're all together. Yeah, That's everybody's together. Everybody pitched in, and and it was the other guy from the other party that uh, he. Uh, um, was on the sat phone and he was doing that piece. So kind of everybody's, you know, finding a job doing something at this point. Like I said, really, really textbook. Couldn't have went down any ever any, any better whatsoever. But he's doing, you know, a job or looking for something to do. And uh yeah, at that point in time it was just sit and wait and they're talking to him on the bird and uh bird comes in and um you know hoists the guy down first and he kind of comes and assesses me and asks me questions and I'm completely coherent answering him good spirits yada 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 checking everything over they come up with a plan of action to get the the litter down and then put me on the litter and then uh and hoist me up um whole process definitely took longer than I would have liked <laughs> uh I think it uh, did it ever I, I don't I I know the incident happened right around 110 I think is when the attack happened 
and uh, I didn't have a chance to check my watch and everything in the hospital. They took it all off, but uh, I th- it was like roughly from what I heard about two and a half hours later that I was actually at the hospital. So blessing going out to the Coast Guard still saved my ass, you, but yeah. uh, that definitely, it's you a know, long if, time. if it was a fatal wound, like, it, you know, there's no question it's, it's been a fatal wound. And the, well out of the golden hour, like one hour period, we're like, okay, the, you know, my life might have been saved. So still saved my ass. Um, wasn't too happy about uh, their uh, their hoist camera that they have. So on their uh, their their uh, helicopter they have, they have a hoist camera like going right down the cable, like where it's lifting me up. And immediately, immediately, like as soon as it went down, like they had that camera footage of hoisting me up, you know, off the ground, and posted on Facebook, like social media. So love the Coast Guard, still save my ass, but they immediately posted that. So. For what reason? I don't know. For their own reason, like, hey, you know, saved a hiker, you know, hunter, whatever, you know, uh, from like from self, a bear bear like mauling. Self promotion, like we're yeah, awesome. And, and, and again, like I, I give it to them one hundred percent. It's like, hey, you know, I would absolutely give them, you know, the save, the rescue, and, and good for them. But I was kind of like, man, to post it immediately, it made me and other guys more upset because I had other guys, you know, that I know, and they were out in the field. And uh, or you know out, outside of uh, of work, and they found out f- through Facebook oh, yeah, before yeah. they found out from guys like phone calls, like hey, you know, uh, guy just got mauled, you know, whatever else, like through any anything else. And uh, fortunately, my my folks <laughs> didn't find out that way. You know, yeah. I oh. called them when I got to the hospital, but, but I'm kind of like that's that's pretty much that's pretty messed up to do it, you know, so so soon. And I'm like, yeah, it didn't make me happy, and I, I do want to give them the rescue and everything else. But I was like, man, that's pretty unprofessional as, as far oh, as like, I, you would, know, I, see. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, yeah. it's like marketing their bill. Of their, yeah. yeah. And, and, and again, I'm not against them doing that. Like, they do a lot of good things there. Like they are the biggest base, you know, is in Kodiak for the Coast Guard and, and uh, rightfully so they save a lot, a lot of Yeah, people. no, like you're saying. The, the, yeah. All, but, the pro- like, <laughs> all props for the life-saving yep. uh, efforts. But Come on, yeah. Streamline, really, really? yeah. Come on, streamline man. that social process. That'd yeah. Be nice. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, 
and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. You ever get that feeling you're stuck inside staring at screens and a primal urge kicks in? You crave wide open spaces, fresh air, the chance to connect with the land? Well, maybe it's time to find your own piece of the wild, but searching for property can be a maze. That's where land.com comes in. They got millions of listings across the country, from mountain ranches to hidden fishing holes. Their search tools are like a seasoned guide helping you narrow down what you want. Land.com isn't just about buying and selling. It's about finding a place to hunt, fish, explore, or simply sit by a campfire and listen to the crickets. So head over to land.com today to turn one day into today because trust me there's nothing quite like the feeling of standing on your own piece of earth but yeah was there moments in the waiting because i you know you talk about like sounds and smells of of the attack right Mm -hmm. but are there moments in the waiting to be rescued um in air quotes i guess where things started to settle in your mind as to what happened or was it still a tactical you know i gotta get out of here i need to stay alive i need to get you know well you you obviously weren't given any duties you had to you know lay there be warm and be stable <laughs> survive you know, survive that's you know, pretty much it so during that time do you remember your mind drifting to any particular things other than no i was pretty focused in the moment still yeah. um no i never i don't know i'm a very determined focused yeah. kind of individual and, and guys that know me know the same thing that uh I definitely don't let anybody tell me how things are going to go or how I'm going to live my life or how things are going to turn out or odds or anything like that. It really kind of drives me and forces me to, to work even harder. So the only thoughts going through my mind is like, okay, cool. Well, I wonder how long this is going to take before I'm back to doing the same old yeah. things I'm going to be doing. Like nothing yeah. in my mind was like, oh, I'm Limp biscuit now. Besides like the jokes of like, hmm, I wonder if I can have kids. But I'm single, like I don't have a girlfriend, you know, no wife, no kids from anybody time, else. Yeah. It's like no pressure. It's like you know, what, if I'm gonna prove this, I'm gonna prove it, you know, however many years down the road, like if that's even gonna happen. So, uh, yeah, the only thing going through my mind is like, all right, I wonder so how just, long it's gonna take me out of the picture, you know, just how determination. Long is like, yeah, no, yeah, I'm just kind of like, okay, what's next? Like, no. I survived. Like, no sorry cool. moments. No. no, none whatsoever. And I was just, I was really, really proud i guess of the guys that were with me and, yeah, and thankful too it was been, like yeah. hey it's like kind of got me thinking and um you know I, I i know we briefly touched on it earlier uh when we talked about like guns and like everybody having sidearms and uh uh when certain guys like decided like okay we're only going after the one elk not everybody's going to get shoot and some guys decided like okay just leave the rifles behind because we all knew when we made our planet like we already had a base camp set up that this hunt was going to be like okay we know where they are this is going to be super light just bring the absolute minimum so we can carry it the most amount of meat like all in the goes that we can and with the amount of guys we're like we figured five guys we can definitely haul the whole thing out in one go yeah like sure. everybody yeah. takes like a, a a quarter and then you know whatever organ meats and like back straps and tenderloins and all that kind of stuff and then the uh uh the rack but we're like yeah we can do this in one go so everybody's light lightening the load and um definitely kind of eye-opening especially even me like i said i was really excited about having the 6.5 creedmoor but now that i think about it, i'm like okay well i'm not so much of a uh you know an asset if there is a bear in the area or if something like that that were to happen and all of this 
have talked in the past, you know, what we would do if bear charges and uh, a lot of us spend a lot of time at the range, a lot of time shooting and um, very savvy, I would say. But all of us kind of know too is like, especially in the situation just as mine, no time to take a shot. Like if you have a pistol or anything, like maybe you get a couple shots off, you never know. But we always say that like that, that pistol or that rifle that you have on you, it's not for you, it's for the other guy. Yeah. Like you're always carrying it. So if somebody else is the one that gets attacked, you're Johnny on the spot to go and, and take that thing down immediately. So yes, you're there to defend yourself, but the probability is less that you're going to be able to do that. It's in defense of you know somebody else. So yeah. um, huge proponent of that and thinking that way, but it also got me thinking like, mm, okay, well, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be carrying that really, really light rifle because of you know said cases. And so I think that's kind of changed. Um, some of our uh, standards, yeah, yeah, you know, for yeah. what we're going to do later on. And and for me, I think one of the big lessons uh, after, as I said, with the cold, we're like, okay, as much as we spend time in survival and we're a tough bunch of guys and, and very versed in the area is like, from now on, carrying those little space blankets. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Throw it in the, the first aid kit, like, along with everything else, and, like, yeah, okay, a little bit, like, another extra ounce or something, and ounces do equal pounds. But it's like that would, would have been a night and day difference for, you know, kind of keeping me from just jackhammering. Yeah, and I think that's, uh, you know, things like this, like, you know, this isn't, for me, uh, hearing this story from you is not entertaining. Of course, it, I mean, uh, like, I can't, I'm barely struggle even to know what to say to you <laughs> hearing that but but i think for folks listening these that that type of insight is what's valuable here mm-hmm. is to to hear your story and to, to everybody's got holes in their game and in this case those holes can lead to death or life for uh, sure and in your case had you not had tourniquets had you not had a sat phone mm-hmm. you know had you not had four other buddies with you oh yeah things could could went a lot different. Totally different. Yeah, the lessons are always, you know, learning blood. At least all the, the hard ones. People are stubborn, don't want to change. It's like until something serious happens, that's when it kind of yeah. starts to put things in perspective yeah, again. Yeah, and if you're out there listening to this and you're hunting in bear country, I mean, these are things that you need to, you know, you need to think about. You need to think mm-hmm. very hard about how you prepare and, and what holes are in your game and if something should happen, what the contingencies are. Because this mm-hmm. is, I mean, this is... absolutely. This is exactly what um, everyone fears. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just, you know, when you asked me to, to talk about it, I've got no qualms telling the story. I love telling yeah. the story with other people. I've said it's just practice for the grandkids, you know, some days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really good to tell yeah, lucky them all for you, about this will be it, a you know? legend, right? All yeah. about it. And um, But I did think about it. I'm like, okay, it, it is good perspective. And, and by no means any type of expert on the matter now, just because, you know, I went through this experience. But... I think it does kind of open some eyes and, and doors to what you can tell people because so often it's like yeah. you just hear people talk, you know, it's like, oh, what do you do in this type of experience? But really don't have any experiences. You know, their experiences ended, you know, with a bluff charge that they had once and you use what you got. And yes, there's a lot of common sense that comes into as as a factor for what you're going to do out there. But uh, no, definitely being through the process, I, I know it won't always go down the same. It'll never go down exactly that way ever again, you know, to somebody else. But um, it is kind of a lesson, you know, 
people yeah. that I work with and talk to and see now, it's like, okay, now I can kind of touch on those things and, and know what's going to work and probably yeah, like, okay, hey, this isn't the smart thing to be yeah. doing. You know, like and solo hunting in bear country exactly. is, a, is a risk, man. It's a hard risk. Oh, for sure. The, uh, the, the story that always comes up and I, I laugh about it all the time is uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and the Revenant. So everybody <laughs> brings that one up all the time. So I've got a great little picture with a meme on it that says Leo can suck it <laughs> as he's getting, <laughs> getting attacked by the bear. And uh, I, I was I was aware of the the Hugh Glass story well before the movie and before yeah. the event and uh, and knew it well. And that guy is for sure a badass. And the uh, the movie didn't quite do it justice on how it really went down, you know. Um, As it never you know, seems to do. No, and it doesn't. In the real story, you know, he didn't he didn't kill it or anything. They finished off like with twenty plus dudes or whatever, yeah. just you know, uh, unloading on it with uh, with guns. And and he got some knife strikes in, but you can see how beat up he got. And, that's a lot of the things that were going through my mind is like as badass as the story could have been and probably everybody wants to hear me about me like, you know, stabbing this stabbing bear, pulling it, out yeah. my knife and, you know, stabbing the bear and like fighting it off. I'm like, this is a 500-pound animal, seven-foot bear that uh, that's just born bred and knows how to just crush and kill and, and do everything else. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it'd be a great story, but that's not that's not reality. That's the movies for you, you know? And and if I was by myself, sure, like that would probably would have changed everything and what I would have had to do. And and uh, it, who knows if it would have left, left me alone, or if I would have had to fight it. And if I had to fight it, man, be hard to think about. Like who? Yeah, this is certainly in this situation. It's not man versus bear because there's nothing. No, it's you're not facing off with no. this bear. And, and and for point of fact, you know, you guys killed this bear, and you were telling me afterwards, this is a seven and a half foot mm-hmm. giant. <laughs> giant giant bear yeah um and the weight the the impact of of that animal is not something that you can fight back no on. you just can't not at all it, the of course i'm fascinated in the subject was even before being around bears all the time but you see the maulings in the stories and, and most people don't survive the maulings and they do happen um, if they're like actually mauled and not just like, you know, shot. Um, when it happens, they're just, if they got anything in the front of you, like people's just face, faces are never the same again. Like they're ripping out organs, everything else. And, and I knew that. And again, like I said, there's no bravado here. Like my bravado was thinking about like, if I die, I'm no good to anybody. It's yeah. like, and then everybody else is going to be the force to deal with that. It's like, I know it's like, I don't need to fight back here. I've got four other guys that are ready to like, that'll be Johnny. Less. But that's so a lot of, like I said, a lot of it was just trust in the guys that were with me that I'm like, okay, all I need to do here is last. Like, how am I going to last through this to be able to give those guys enough kind of awareness and know what's going on and be able to get to me in time to do this like how can i you know open this up the best i can of course yeah. it's very limited in what i could do but i you know yelling out bear hey at least let somebody know or like not that they heard it they just figured it out through everything else all the other commotion that was going on but uh and then protecting myself because it's it's literally all that i could do there is yeah. you know there's no like oh i'm gonna block this bear and you know <laughs> do this and i've got a great photo that somebody sent me and it's um I actually sent it to Cole too, and he's like, "Yes, I've got that one. I've seen that one. And it's bear jujitsu, <laughs> and it's got all these different pictures of like doing these moves Dude, on like bears, blocking bears. And it's like one through eight, and it's like you know, you know, bear naked choke. You know, like all that's <laughs> thrown in there. And then the very, very last one is like, realize that you messed up at 
you know, number two and you died. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you're not going to fight this now. thing. You're, yeah. This you're isn't going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to happen. How do you, I mean, how do you feel now as we sit here? Some time has passed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I know the answer to this, but I ask it anyway. How do you feel about that bear? How do you feel about that, Sal? Like, she's dead, you're alive, and you guys got in a tussle. Yeah. Um, how do you how do you feel emotionally about what happened, like that bear and and her death and the experience? Sure, sure. So, um, be, even before I get to that, I'll like tap on this too because this probably kind of helps. I, I think a little bit, but uh, so as we found out after it was taken to fishing game and everything, which is by law actually, but uh, the initial estimate was she was like nineteen years old. Yeah, and. And later on, the guy asked me, he's like, thought maybe like 23, 24. They only lived to like 25. Yeah, so old. this is a very old, like, angry hag sow. Well, you know, yeah, this, you this mentioned, me, so. <laughs> and you mentioned the grayish color. Right, like, which, and that's signifiers. why I'd never seen a bear that old. Yeah. Like, every bear that I'd seen is usually the youngins because they're the ones that are right. more ignorant, for lack of a better word, that's hanging around the town, um, just like old bucks. But um, so knowing that, you know, she probably didn't have a lot of time left anyway. And, you know, she's seen a lot and had a lot, a lot of, uh, of cubs before that. And the cubs, uh, from what the guys said, were older, they'll hopefully be fine. But going through my mind, uh, I, I certainly don't, um, I don't agree with the people that get all butthurt and be like, oh, the poor bear and like everything else. And I'm like, that kind of gets annoying. It was like, you know. Hi, you know, just got mauled. You know, like yeah. I don't feel bad for the bear at all. What I do feel bad for is like, okay, yeah, the bear could have produced more bears and like and and made it for better hunters. Because in all honesty, the the opening season for bear was about to open up. Uh, actually, it happened on October twenty sixth, and I th- I want to say it was like that day. Actually, yeah. bear season opened. It was really it's right around that time. I can't quite remember off the top of my head, but. It opens right up, so I was like, I was looking forward to actually going out bear hunting yeah, yeah. and doing the same thing. So she kind of took me away from that. But no, I definitely don't. I don't, you know, feel bad about it or anything. Besides the fact that it's like, hey, it wasn't in the right time. Like, you know, it didn't have my tag or anything to get a bear. You know, it definitely was in defense, and uh, you know, wasn't the bear that you're really seeking. And um, a lot of people don't like hunting, but as I say, with as many bears are on there, it's like it's good control of the yeah. bear population yeah. and, and it, it's a huge thing that's what i know you talk about a lot but with the the, the real meaning of, of hunting especially with an animal you don't you know you're not gathering meat from um but uh yeah it was unfortunate because i i know that for her it's just as much survival instinct as me just she's a more primal creature than i am and you know there's no communicating that is communicating and to like, her, hey, she's good, just like good. yeah it's yeah, like can't. yeah there's no there's no getting out of it so i know this the there was the perfect storm and, and definitely unfortunate circumstances but no i definitely don't feel bad about it you know i'm still a living breathing human being yeah. and i'm still alive and and thank god thank I god, am. yeah <laughs> yeah i mean have you talked to your your buddy that took the shots and like what's the as a group you know, post-mortem, what's like the, what's the feeling? Yeah. And, know? and no, I mean, guys are all on the same page. Like they're ecstatic about it. One just I'm alive and it was very surreal for everybody. And in the moment, more so going what through his mind was like, oh, God, I hope he's alive. And, uh, the guy who shot the bear first, the rifle, he was more nervous when I stopped talking. As I said, as I, oh, I can't make any more noise. No more screaming out or anything in pain or agony. Like, got to keep my mouth shut. This is going to get worse. And when he took the shot, it was like right after that too. And he was, 
he was nervous. It's like, he didn't know if I was still alive from the bear killing me or from him killing me from a shot. So that was running through his mind too. And of course it made him nervous, but I was fully aware, awake and like talking and everything else afterwards. And I think that was kind of a relief to him and judgment call. And even afterwards he, we've had our discussions and I certainly owe him my life. And, uh, he, he said the same thing that he knows I'd, but had done the same thing and been there for him. And, um, that's absolutely the case. But, uh, I know the consensus in the group was still the same thing, but so many guys were just kind of surreal, and and some of the guys hadn't really been through experiences like that before. Really stressful and kind of yeah. for them, even it was kind of like they weren't getting attacked, but it was very like real all of a sudden, and kind of like holy shit, like this isn't this isn't you know fun and games anymore. <laughs> this <laughs> no. just turned really, really real. Yes, really, yeah. really real. Yeah, I think that's you know all hunters, all people that spend time in wild places like these things happen you fall you get attacked like they happen infrequently hopefully mm-hmm. for most of us but but they're realities and that's why people love to read books about um animal attacks <laughs> they love to read you know survival stories and mm-hmm. i'm sure we'll love to listen to your story here because you know like you i would say you beat the odds i would say oh, the odds yeah. kind of screwed you <laughs> when you walked up on a bear yep <laughs> but after during and after the attack, you beat the odds. I mean, there's so many ways it could have turned out mm-hmm. um, with your death, but it didn't. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even now, it's supposed to make a full recovery, and as you can see, I'm, I'm walking around. Yeah, wounds, you look wounds, fine wounds, to wounds me. Wounds are healing, and yeah, yeah I'd be signing some you know, minor things in a, a, a much tighter nut sack now. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> well, maybe be that's a... <laughs> Oh, Maybe I know. That's a plus. The uh, surgeons immediately said, "You know, some guys pay for this, right? Like as they get older <laughs> and things start sagging, they're like, some guys pay for this shit. It's like you're gonna be good to go." Uh, uh, and uh, so just we'll, we'll clip jokes. that part out. And that'll be the advertisement <laughs> yeah. for the. That'll Perfect. be how we get people to listen to this Perfect. one. Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. But yeah, Perfect. let's let's. I mean, you, you know, we were when you came in, we were talking. Mm-hmm. Um, you're saying I still have open wounds. You know, yeah. it's two months later, ish, a month and a half, two months yep. later, and and you still have open wounds. Your recovery is obviously still ongoing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably been a lot of rehab, a lot of pain, you know. Sure. Um, just take, you know, briefly take everyone through what that feels like. Because I feel like you have the adrenaline, you've got your determination to survive. Um, and you always hear that about life-threatening situations. But then when you're in a hospital bed or, you know, you're waking up every morning in pain, I mean, I feel like that's where the suffering, you know, really kicks in and where, mm-hmm. you know, where the ne- the next level of of you know difficulties you have to overcome begins mm-hmm. when you've got to get up out of the bed and like you said get back to your normal life. Sure. Yeah. So by the time I got to the hospital, you know, I was going to uh, pretty much immediately go into the operating room. They were asking me a lot of questions. Wanted to really concerned with more of like food and water because before operating, they got to make sure I'm pretty much like drained of all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, uh. <laughs> Sorry, and there's another one like, that I hit on on the ride over. It just kind of cracked me up. But uh, I talked about being cold before, and, and this just yeah. made me think of it again. But um, in the bird, uh, the helicopter, they were trying to, you know, put uh, you know IVs in me, like get get some needles in me at first, and just couldn't do it. Just so cold, like weren't being able to draw anything. Even when I got to the hospital, like couldn't draw anything. The lady was there, and she's like, she's having a really tough time. Finally, eventually got one in my hand that she could get some blood flow. It was just so cold though, and made it happen but it was just kind of one of those things and i get to the hospital and they're just taking everything else off me and i finally got to the point i'm like i need a warm blanket (laughs) i'm like love you guys thanks for taking care of me but i'm like i'm at the point where i'm like okay i am freezing my nuts off here 
and I seriously need uh, a, a blanket or something. Like, cover me back up. I'm like, I'm really, really cold. And uh, so finally, that definitely toned things down, made stuff better. And I was kind of more in a happy place then. But I was like, yeah, cold does a lot of things <laughs> to, to people. And uh, I was yeah. kind of had one of those snappy crack moments where I'm just like, okay, I'm cold. And I'm like, <laughs> stop yeah, taking I mean, clothes off me. I need more clothes on me. And, like, I feel like there's like, yeah, normal. like the frustration level has got to be. Yeah, because yeah, you're, you at that point, well, really, as the attack begins, you have no control really at that point. No, like, you're unable all in my to, hands. And, yeah. And no, and I wasn't. I wasn't trying to be stubborn or anything. I'm like, okay, let people take care of me. I wasn't being like one of those guys. And um, it, and it was good. And, and I did get in the, uh, into the room just kind of waiting and finally made a, a phone call to my folks and let them know everything was good. You know, a guy brought in a phone for me. And so things were good, let them know, and they were all concerned. But uh, even after the operating room, and I, I kind of got through a lot of the medical testing and, and guys asking questions and fixing me up, I'm very much uh, a proponent of just the kind of positive attitude and healing and, and uh, just keeping the smile going. And I, whenever you're in those situations, all you can do. And I hate negativity. Like the last thing I really, really hate pity. And I don't, you know, for the same reason, like I don't take pity on really anybody else either. It's, and I don't, I don't think people need that. I think you can, I'm probably less empathetic than most people either. That's, you know, probably something I should work on. But at the same time, like even for myself, like I don't want that. Like I don't, anybody who's going to like come in and be like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, no, like fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> it's Just like be, if you're going to be like have pity and be like yeah. a sob story with me, we get the hell out. Like I don't need it. I don't want it. Like I'm alive. I got shit to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, and that was kind of my, my thought process even in, in the days in the hospital. It's like, yeah, I, I certainly wasn't feeling good and had me on a liquid diet, uh, uh, you know, starting out. That sucked. Um, cause especially I was already hungry, you know, being in, in the field, like for the first few days anyway, uh, as you well know, like you do a lot of that hiking and, and through that yeah. tough terrain, you get hungry Yep. and like hadn't really drank anything, hadn't really eaten anything in quite some time. And I was definitely hungry and like just drinking on bone broth and, and water for, for uh, a time or two is, uh, not my cup of tea. <laughs> yes. And, uh, so that took some time and, but my, uh, one of my biggest driving motivators, given the circumstances of what was going, what I was going uh, going through, is I talked to you about this before, but I had this puppy, and hadn't got it yet, but I had made plans to get this puppy that uh, I finally, you know, kind of caved in on. I was like I, I saw a litter up north, and I really wanted it, and uh, bought it, made the arrangements. I'm like, okay, great, like this puppy's gonna get shipped on Monday. Well, this incident happened on Friday, and I'm like, okay, making sure everything's in a row. And, uh, again, things going through my mind was just thinking on this. I'm like, okay, I got to get this puppy. Like, I don't care if it's Friday and like what they're saying, like how long I want to keep me. I'm like, I have this puppy coming in. I have to have to be there. I don't want somebody else to do it. Like the first kind of contact and like, I want to be there for it. So definitely my driving motivator. But the other thing on that story is again, kind of going back to the whole, you know, self pity thing. Um, the lady who had the breed, the litter, um, who gave me the puppy, like, you know, shipped me the puppy. As this all was happening, I told her what had happened, what was going on, that things were still going to be, you know, all right. I still wanted the puppy. We'll come to find out her husband um, was just climbing a ladder. I don't know if he was, I think he was working on a roof with his brother or something like that and fell. And, you know, one of the biggest, you know, cause of accidents in the U.S. always like falls and stuff. And sure enough, like he fell off a roof or fell off the ladder and hit his head, like internal hemorrhaging and like emergency ER and didn't know if he's going to make it, like all this like terrible things. And I'm like, I'm going through this. And I'm like, yeah, of course. 
I'm just thinking to myself, like, there's always somebody out there that's got it worse, that's, like, so much worse than you are. Like, the last thing that you need is just, like, this will be like, oh, like, poor me. Like, why me? You know, like, all this is like, no, just life happens, shit happens. You know, you play with a bull, you're going to get the horns. As my father, you, you do anything long enough, and like yeah. something's going to happen along those lines. And, and again, like looking back is why I don't regret anything, wouldn't do anything different. It's just an experience. And fortunately, I'm still here. God's got a plan for me, like that I, I'm going to keep going and doing something because I'm still here kicking. Yeah. So it going, sounds like it didn't really like it just enhance your perspective. It didn't like change. No, it didn't at all. Like yeah. no negativity towards it whatsoever. The only downfall that I'm experiencing right now is not being able to get on the horse soon enough to go back <laughs> out hunting because all the seasons are like ending. Yeah. Even when I get back, I have no time. And my plan is to go right back out and go skiing and ice climbing. Like as soon yeah. as after the holidays ends, that's been my my next goal because I did bring my my puppy here with me. And I did get out of the hospital on Monday to go get him despite them kind of wanting me, you know, to stay a little longer. But uh, yeah, it's been kind of a, a, a crawl walk run starting out uh couldn't i didn't even leave the hospital bed for the first couple of days really couldn't and uh i don't know if it was the second or third day i eventually just got up to like stand up definitely not fun amount of pain the blood finally just rushed back into the leg again the leg was certainly the worst part and whoo yeah that was a little pain yeah that was that was a little pain and uh, they you were telling me, me like no surgeries other than nope, just nothing like no major surgery, right? Yeah, just seal me back up. And uh, with with animal wounds like that, we had talked on it, but for the uh, everybody else listening, never have an animal wound. Uh, uh, trained dogs and had animal bites and stuff before. And, and when you go through that, you're trying to keep the wound open mm-hmm. uh, for risk of infection and for it to heal inside out. You don't want some you know cave hole inside of you just like festering. So. They put some stitches on some of the bigger wounds uh, just to close them up a little bit because they were so big. And uh, the after, I don't know, like a couple weeks or so, they, they cut them off and like let them go back to healing uh, open. And, uh, and that's kind of what I'm going through now. But uh, yeah, there was eight major punctures on my leg, uh, two on my arm, some superficial like scratches, bite marks, whatever they were on my back. And then down lower on the leg, there were like not like full punctures, just kind of like still like superficial, but deep enough to like warrant some bandages. Um, I think just the clothing alone. Yeah. Probably on the lower leg was like the combination of like <laughs> one pair of like soft shell pants, some rain pants, uh, gaiters, just and enough. boots. Yeah, yeah. Like just enough that it, it like she squeezed the hell out of it because I've still got nerve damage where I can't feel half of my my foot and leg. Uh, well, not really leg, but lower like heel uh, and Achilles. Uh, calf, that kind of area, but uh, did enough to like mess with the nerve a little bit, not like completely severed or anything. But uh, yeah, she she did some damage. Didn't take much for that that type of beast. Well, I mean, like you said, that she still has a little bit to rip through. Like she mm-hmm. can still rip and tear at the clothes without really ripping and tearing at you. Yep. And then uh, I'm sure that Stone Glacier Pack. Yeah. You know, for it's got. <laughs> I know those guys over there pretty well. They're all good folks, and they yeah. make a nice pack. But like, oh yeah. I'm sure that impact saved you a lot too. Big, big time. And, and uh, again, that went through my my mind a lot. And I, she was a little focused on the legs at first, I think, which I don't know, good or bad. Uh, I think maybe that's because what was you know, like you were moving, maybe kicking. Well, maybe. it was definitely it was just the first thing that came to her. And yeah. the same with my experiences with dogs uh, and like 
like protective. They're going to go for the first thing. Whatever it is, is like closest out there to them. It's just convenience. That's what they're going to bite first. And for her, it was just, that was the leg that was there. Yeah, As was again, there. I dove kind of downhill. So she was coming behind me at this point rather than like a head on charge. And she just grabbed that for that first leg, and she she picked me up and just threw me. Um, so constantly going for the closest thing there. And um, but the the thing with the the backpack, it did kind of uh, get me thinking. And I know bears are very very smart creatures, and and uh, just very keen on everything. And I th- I don't think uh, eventually she obviously did you know scratch me in the back and and get to the to my arm, and and the stone glazer back didn't really take much damage, and it got me thinking about it too. And I had to think that she probably knows that feeling. Like she knew when she put her paws on me and, and her teeth in me that like she probably knew what flesh kind of like feels like, tastes like, all that kind of oh, stuff. Yeah. That Like she didn't want anything to do it. And that's all she was trying to do is just kind of brush that out of the side. Yeah. So again, it was like all linked together and, and nothing actually happened to the pack, which was awesome. But um, she was yeah, if, if I didn't it. have that there, yeah, I mean – Fortunately, like just the the flat back itself doesn't really have features to really you know grab a hold of that. Who knows? Maybe she wouldn't have either. She could have gotten like side or something else. Um, yeah, and I and and that's gone through my mind. But I had to think. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Like they, she probably knows exactly what flesh and everything like feels like, tastes like, and that's what she was going for. She was just moving that shit right out of the way. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, it, it's hard. You can't put your you can't put your mind to what is going through a bear's mind in that situation can't i mean no. it's impossible no and it's such ins- it was instinctual for you instinctual for her mm-hmm. like the whole interaction seemed to be just this like man versus nature and that's yep and you you know at this this particular time you ended up ended up bumping heads and and um you came out on the better end but for sure it's such a eyes wonder about that like if that were ever to happen to me how it would change me like you're way tougher than i am like you seem like you have a way better <laughs> perspective that, you have a way better perspective on on these types of things but i've heard from you know Giannis patelis and even a little bit from steve Rinell and media crew they weren't even attacked they were, they were charged and and all came away you know fairly unscathed that it did change a little bit about how they felt about going in the wilderness like they have you know they have kids they have wives like they you know they feel like you know uh, Everybody has loved ones, family, and friends that care about them. Like mm-hmm. it, I think it did change them a little bit as far as how they think about it. Are they not going to go? No, they're going, mm-hmm. um, just like you are. But you know, I think it probably it had to change something for you. To, well, for sure. I don't know. Uh, everybody's got their own ways of going through life and, and living and, and doing their own thing. But it, life's all about experiences, and you always hear about people talking to them about being in the moment and all that. But uh, I do agree with it, and uh, one thing I always think about is like you're never the same person as you were yesterday. Yeah, I constantly like a lot of people just don't have those really huge moments, eye-opening experiences that they think that they do, and like they're just those mundane tasks and everything. But like no matter what, like you're getting yeah. lessons learned and experiences every day. Like they're just not as big as as some of the other ones, and um, mine was obviously very big, and you can take away from that. But uh, <laughs> ironically. Um, I was getting some tattoos done and I just uh, had an audible book that I was listening to um, the rise of Superman yeah. and it's all about like the state of flow. And uh, I kind of talked about the the flow before that. And I've read other books about it and, and uh, looked into the topic and, and extremely, extremely interesting um, for people that like look into the subject or, or not. But 
always seeking out those moments where like you learn the most because to yeah. bump into flow like takes like some people have like ser- you know serious like I don't know meditation that they want to do that takes like hours and hours and hours and hours but then you hear about these uh very adventure seeking individuals like doing extreme skydiving and free diving and all these other adventure type sports and that's where they find and seek flow and big wave riders and, yeah, and, and yeah. mountain bikers and all those things. And I love all those things as well. And a lot of people think of them as adrenaline junkies and it's definitely not the same <laughs> whatsoever. I'm not going to say I didn't have an adrenaline during the incident, but I, I also know that uh, the, the state of flow is definitely uh, definitely going there. Um, yeah, it seems and, like that, that that's probably my read on it is that's impacted you as much as anything. Mm-hmm. And hearing you describe it is having that state of flow i mean you may achieve it while climbing you may mm-hmm. achieve it while surfing but you know while there's some inherent danger there um there's some inherent joy there as well mm-hmm. in what you're doing um but in this in this case you achieve that state of flow just in a different mental environment where you knew there wasn't any good outcome of what was going to happen and then when mm-hmm. it was happening so it seems to me like that you know having that state of flow and knowing what that feels like and Moments of extreme stress is is informed you in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like coming oh, absolutely! Out of it. Like that's that's really where I find that you you really learn the most uh, about yourself and 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 other things in life um, is being in those those moments where you just learn so much so quick. It's very very eye opening. That's why people always seek that. You know, it's not yeah. for that. It's not the adrenaline rush. Is like people say, yeah, there's definitely adrenaline junkies, but I, that's where I find it's. Those individuals are much more short lived than than others that just eat that because then they eventually end up just doing something stupid yeah. um, and not well thought out versus yeah. other people that have to be they're just kind of pushed in those moments. Um, and there's nothing wrong with like seeking other ways with whether it is like a two and a half hour session of yoga or, or meditation or something and done that before too. But uh, yeah, being in that in that moment was uh, extraordinary eye opening yeah. and. Uh, I don't know. It, I can come out positive from the experience because one, everything went down textbook. Nothing really, all that bad happened. And whether you believe in like a higher power or ever, um, you know, whether it was God just telling me to, hey, take take a chill pill, like slow yeah. down for a little bit, yeah. you know, like take some time, watch out. Yeah, exactly. Like whatever it is, like I don't know. There's you know, things happen for a reason, as some people say. I don't know about that, but everything always works out. Yeah, in my how mind, it's, to. it's like yeah, it's like it's like maybe not the way that you planned or, or wanted to. And like, you know, it, it always happens very, very unexpectedly. But uh, yeah, no, all in all, it's been a, a really, really good experience. And Was there ever um, any, um, you know, I'm sure there was fear, but like describe it, you know, the types of fear that you felt while you were there. I mean, there's fear for your life. There's fear for your, you know, for your friends. There's there's all types of so of, It's funny, I've had that conversation before where people talked about it and, this isn't like a form of bravado or like, you know, manlyism when I when I say this, but I don't really think there was fear and I think that was just experience that I've had before and having a clear head because I think fear is very, very irrational. It's something that's concocted in your heads, um, like sharks in the water that you can't see, like that yeah. kind of deal. And like people just have a, a fear of that or fear of heights. And I'm sure there can be chemical imbalances with some people that like cause them to have irrational fears that yeah it takes a lot to get over but when this was going down i don't think it was fear as much as like a difference between fear and danger yeah and i don't remember exactly what he said but it was a while ago that i heard uli steck 
talking about something similar mm-hmm. a while ago. And if people aren't familiar with Uistek, uh, he did pass away, but he's a very well-known speed climber, um, very well-known for doing a lot of solo crazy stuff. And eventually that did uh, make him pass. So you can think about him however you want. But he was talking about the differences between, you know, danger and and fear and when you have fear, you're just, it's just in your head. Like there's no reasoning for it. It doesn't help you out. It doesn't do anything, but understanding that when there's dangers is very, very real. And, and when that, ha- when that initially happened, of course, everything going through you is very instinctual and you have things that you do and, you know, the parasympathetic, uh, and sympathetic nervous system and fight or flight and freeze and like all these other different things going on. And I know those things obviously happen, but as far as what's going through my head, I don't think it was like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. It's like, again, what am I going to do? Like, how do I control this situation? What control do I have? Do I have any control? You know, what are the things that I can control? And those were the things going through my mind because I knew that fear and danger, but but yeah, I think it was just a very, um, again, it's all a surreal experience, but just knowing that it's what you can and can't control and being in that situation to be like, understanding is really is what it was it wasn't necessarily like oh my god fear like i'll stop what am i you know like i'm dead kind of deal yeah i don't know it seems to me like you just exerted some positivity into the and like you know it's not like you were like things are great yeah (laughs) (laughs) well this is awesome rainbows and sprinkles that's for sure yeah but but like exerted some positive force into what was happening like not like i can't believe i'm so stupid why did i hunt on a fog neck why am i getting mauled right now Mm -hmm. more of just uh what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing I can do? What's the next thing that I can um, express to my friends to help me get to the next, to the point I have to get to live and be fine. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that had a lot to do with to where you are today, but I guess we can close it out by saying everything's fine. Everything's, everything's good. You look good. Thanks, man. I mean, yeah. everything looks fine to me. <laughs> Healing, getting better. Everything downstairs going fine. Yeah. That's yeah, going to be, as, as far as I know, it's, it's, it's good. Uh, wounds are almost healed. I'm hoping uh, on Tuesday they'll be like, okay, everything's close enough to the surface. Take the bandages off and let them do their thing. Started physical therapy already and kind of got the range of motion back. You know, yeah. no more canes or walkers or anything. You know, I'm getting around and uh, yeah, should make a full recovery back to skiing and nice climbing and doing Good. fun things. Good. Hunting next season. <laughs> Hunting next season. Well, I'm going to look forward to those updates, but I, yeah. I, it's admirable the way that you approach this. Um, like I said, this is this is everyone's worst nightmare in a lot of ways. Um, so I admire the way you approach it. And I'm glad you're sitting here. Yeah. Thanks, man. All Appreciate right, man. it. Thanks. That's it. That's all. Another episode in the books of the Hunting Collective. Um, what I'll say about this story and Brad is that I was amazed by it. I was, was interested in every facet of it. And... I'm very thankful that he uh, chose us or was willing to tell that story on the air here with me, The Hunting Collective. I think it's one of the more useful stories and educational stories you can hear about how he survived, why he survived, and why it was the the folks he chose to have with him that were um, key to his survival. So thank you, thank you, thank you to Brad. Glad you're alive, bro. And uh, glad you're feeling good. So get back to it. Get back to ice climbing, get back to to skiing, get back to hunting, get back to life. Um, Appreciate you. What else? What else? On to the next thing. We, you know, we, um, we've got a lot of stuff at the meateater.com store. 
So check that all out. Uh, Christmas is come and gone, I believe, but there's still lots of reasons to buy for yourself and your friends and family. So go there, check out hats, shirts, hoodies, uh, Yeti tumblers, all the things with um, uh, the Hunting Collective logo on them or some kind of awesome pro-nuance anti-bullshit. We've got some other things going up. The Broadside Elk t-shirt, which was a quote <coughs> a quote from Ryan Callahan on the podcast. A lot of awesome stuff there, man. So go check it out. And while you're there, click subscribe on the, the Meat Eater newsletter. We need you to subscribe. We would like millions of people to get our information every week in their inbox. Hopefully you can be one of them. But that's all I've got for this time. Thank you for everything, for all of you. I appreciate you. And I'm, I'm happy this podcast is growing and, and everyone is enjoying uh, our efforts because we're trying our best. So write in, tell us what we're doing, good or bad. We'd like to hear it all. And until next time, take her easy. Bye. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, guys, turkey season is in full swing right now, and if you are planning on getting after it, make sure to pick up some Meat Eater Phelps turkey calls to stuff into the old turkey vest or into your fanny pack right now. I carry a few different things. I like to use mouth calls and I like to use pot calls. Mouth calls or diaphragms, I like them because it gives you hand-free calling, meaning when you're working a bird up close, you can have your gun on your knee, finger on the trigger, ready to roll, and still be making turkey sounds. I like pot calls because I just like pot calls. I enjoy calling with a pot call. Whatever direction you go, including a box call, which I don't personally use too much, but they're fun and great, and I started out with them. Yanni, on the other hand, one of my main turkey hunting buddies, he loves box calls. And what's funny is I'll now and then look to him and give him the look that means get out your box call and find us a turkey. So it's not that I don't like him, but I just have Yanni use his. Then I'll have to carry it. Go to Phelps Game Calls. Get calls that are made in the USA and get calls that'll get them close. Find yours at phelpsgamecalls.com today.